0: word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast talking about content with adult themes and whatnot. This month, we're talking about Brandon Sanderson's Warbreaker, and we'll undoubtedly touch on nearly everything up until The Lost Metal in the Mistborn series, as well as Elantris, excluding Stormlight. So if you're thinking about the Cosmere, just about everything is on the table except for Stormlight. Welcome to Words and Whiskey Short Pours, a monthly-ish podcast where we have a fun time discussing fictional worlds and the people that create them, all while boozing just a little bit. My name is Cross.
1: My name is PJ.
0: And we are here today to talk about the first, not the first entry, to talk about my favorite entry in the Cosmere and branded. This is branded. Oh my fucking god! All right, real quick, one second. Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, just I plow through, plow through. You got this. I'm just gonna repeat. <laughs> Okay. And We are here today to talk about the first entry. Nope. And we are here today. I literally. wrote, I don't know why I wrote first. I didn't do. I don't know. It's in the notes. All right. And we are here today to talk about my favorite entry in the Cosmere, Brandon Sanderson's Warbreaker.
1: Uh, so we're here, both crossland and I, but we also have a special guest with us today, your friend and mine, Ziva, aka Wind on Instagram.
2: Hey, Ziva, everyone. Say hello. So excited to be here! Warbreaker is sometimes it's my favorite book. Sometimes it it varies day by day, but it's up there. I love Warbreaker, so I'm looking forward to uh, discussing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exciting.
0: So before we talk about what we're before we talk about the book and what we're drinking, I'd love to hear just this kind of a general question to give some people some introduction. Obviously, you're on Instagram. You want to? You run a wonderful meme page, but I wanted to ask what your first entry point was to the Cosmere and what you read first.
2: Okay, so my friend actually introduced me to the Cosmere. Uh, she gave me Mistborn, and at the time, I just couldn't get into it. I think it was just maybe the darker vibes. I wasn't really feeling it. I'm more of a mood reader, so it just wasn't, wasn't doing it for me. So I set it aside, and then shortly after, I think she wasn't done trying to force Brandon Sanderson on me yet, so uh, she gave me The Way of Kings which Mm. is the first Stormlight book. And I absolutely loved it. I think it was, it has a bit more of a, as much as it has a lot of dark moments, it has a bit more of an optimistic feel, especially at the start. Like it reminds me of like a lot of classic fantasy. It has a lot of those elements. So I think it was easier for me to get into. And even though at the beginning, it was a little overwhelming, I I got into it and then the rest is history. I just read everything
1: (laughs) yeah i I feel like that probably says a good thing about yourself if you're a mood reader and couldn't get into Mistborn, because that is a a deep dark hole sometimes yeah so that makes sense
2: it definitely it has its lighter moments but it can be just very even just the atmosphere can be very dark
0: Mm -hmm. most definitely Okay, well, I figured that's a good intro, just to, like, let people know a little bit about what you're, what you're doing. And we're recording this, of course, during the holiday season, so we've got a lot of festive drinks to talk about, kind of. Mm-hmm. Maybe? We'll see. PJ, what are you drinking tonight?
1: I am drinking a Rosemary Gin Fizz. Mm. So it is two ounces of Bombay Sapphire Gin, one ounce of lemon juice, three-quarters of an ounce of Rosemary Simple Syrup, one egg white, and then dry shaking because egg add some ice shake the shit out of it until your arms want to fall off and the ice is gone and then pour that into a glass and top it off with club soda no cream no curiosity. cream in this one Yeah. okay so I, I think that comes with the specifically the ramos gin fizz
0: yeah, a lot of um, a lot of gin fizzes do imitate that though regardless of some other flavors and profiles, right. just a little bit of that cream to give it that the bigger the bigger head on it.
1: But, yeah. 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 This one definitely I could have done a little bit differently. And truly like this was half an egg white because I made two mm-hmm. of them and just used one egg for Kaylin and I. Bombay Sapphire was a choice because I had it. <laughs> There's nothing specific
2: <laughs> about that. What's that like? I
1: don't know why I wrote it in the recipe. Who wants to go next? I'll Let's go, go to Ziva. Yeah.
2: Okay. So I am going with a mocktail today. I, I always go with mocktail because I don't really drink alcohol. So I'm going with, I'm calling it the Halandrin Sunset. It's a pretty standard mocktail. I've got some grenadine, which I had to make myself because I couldn't find any. So I did that. And then some orange juice lemon juice and wanted to find something like vaguely yellowish to make the sunset effect. So I found this like citrus vitamin water and kind of made a little bit of a layered look. Uh, and yeah, because, you know, Holandrine, we're going to get into it, but it's a very tropical place. So I thought, you know, the vibes.
0: The vibes. So with that, I think that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome.
0: Thanks. And it looks and great too. Mm- homemade
1: grenadine is the only way to go okay so much better it's so much better than the store bought stuff
0: yeah i don't i don't remember if i feel like we went on a rant at this very early on maybe in like a morning star episode or something like that about the differences between homemade grenadine and like store-bought roses grenadine and cannot speak enough to just make your own grenadine and make it shelf stable and then call it a day and like make it once every six months or however often. Cause it's just it's so much better and it actually tastes a little bit like pomegranate and not just sugary death. So yeah, could not encourage more. That's great. I, I love that yeah. you made your own grenadine too. It's awesome.
2: Thank you. I've learned a lot from you, you guys. Woohoo.
0: So I'm glad. <laughs> And it's always good to have mocktail representation on. We haven't done a mocktail. Hey, we did a couple back in June and July. We took mm-hmm. what one dry month July. off as well. Yeah, we took yes. Dry July. Yes, and then also did we do February last year? The beginning of February, end of January, something like that. We did a, a couple little stretches. Yeah, in there. But every once in a while, we try to throw them in. So always appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Love a good mocktail recipe. Cool. All right. Well, I today am having. It doesn't it's it's effectively kind of a spin on an old fashioned, but with rum, basically. So the the recipe itself is one and a half ounces of plantation rum, half an ounce of a white rum. And then I used a ginger simple syrup to give it a little bit of kind of that spice backbone to it and reinforce some of those things. And then a quarter ounce of Campari for bitters. It wasn't actually bitter enough, and so I threw in a couple of dashes of Angostura between, you know, our Devil's Cut and now, because I just wanted to try it, and it definitely needed the the bitters. So I would recommend, you could pull out the Campari, that was kind of an ad, because I thought it would work instead of the bitters, and it just didn't quite work the way that I wanted it to. But this is, for the most part, outside of that Campari sub, a recipe from our buddy Josh, who is also one of the players in Tales of Kana. So, one of our buddies... Sent it to me. I also put some nutmeg on top because, of course, you got to so get a little bit. Almost of almost
1: like an old fashioned.
0: Yeah. Like did a, I say like a rum old fashioned? I thought I said yeah, you that said on a, top. You said old fashioned. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like a rum I old don't fashioned listen. basically. It's okay. I deserve that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, basically rum old fashioned. Super good. I subbed out the Campari for the rye that he had on it. So he put just a quarter ounce of rye just to give it like a little bit of an herbaceous note through. Um mm-hmm. but I was out of rye because before I was dog sitting this past week, I finished the little bit of rye that I had left making one of these before. So gotcha. I didn't realize it was out until I went to make the cocktail, you know, a little bit ago. So
1: <laughs> PJ, do you have a follow-up beer? I do. I forgot to mention it. It is Me called too. Bottomless from Black Stag. It has been sitting in my fridge for way too long. Mm. Uh so it is a mimosa sour. <laughs> Ooh, that so, sounds fun. sort of an orange, orange is it, sour. Is it good? Yeah, yeah, it's yet? not bad. It's de- it definitely leans more into the sour than the sweet, like a lot mm. of black stacks do. Um, and I've been kind of on a sort of funky sour kick lately, so this is this fits in pretty well. Nice.
0: I bought yeah. some sours for my brother for Christmas. He's not going to hear this until after Christmas anyway. If he hears this ever, <laughs> but yeah, he's gonna he's gonna get those. And we're going to drink them. That's the plan. I'm following yes. mine up with the final of the pack that I had of Souls for Sale from Edward Teach. That episode comes out on Thursday or last week, depending on the time travel with this episode that you are listening to it or the <laughs> portal through which you are viewing this. Very good beer from Edward Teach. They make great stuff. He's a guy, PA. So Very nice. cool. All right. With that, enough about the drinks. Let's talk about the book. Getting into this here, I want to kick it to PJ first, and then we'll go to Ziva, but what are your overall thoughts on this book? I want to try to not color his perspective too hard, because, you know, color, of course.
2: Oh, oh, I mean. didn't get that. Bad. Ah! Ah, ah. <laughs> <Damn it. laughs>
1: so, I think I called you, I, I've talked about this a couple different times within the Discord and with you on the phone and just, like, talking to you idly. I love this book. <laughs> Mm -hmm. This is like the evolved version of what I love about Elantris and it's sort of political sort of web that it weaves and that, that sort of realm of story. And on top of that, the magic system is awesome. I think I would have criticized it as being much more soft had I not already read the bands of Mourning, truly Mm. and understanding sort of identity and, and intention and things like that and how that actually weaves into the magic system itself. So like, I think I would have criticized it for that, but truly it's, it's pretty rock solid and I really, really like it. (laughs) Nice. That's great. Where would
0: you put it if you had to make the choice, PJ? Where would you put it in your ranking of of stories that we've read so far in the Cosmere?
1: I think I'd put it ahead of almost everything, with the exception of the Lost Metal so far. Mm, okay. All
3: yeah. right.
0: I feel I feel pretty similarly about the Lost Metal being on the top of the pile with Warbreaker. So there are some Stormlight books in the middle there. So we're gonna we're gonna save it like in the top five, but. Okay. Uh, Metal, not Warbreaker's number one. Sorry, Ziva. <laughs> how do you feel
3: about it?
2: So I'm going to be a little controversial here and say uh-huh. you guys have been putting Warbreaker up there with Lost Metal. I'm not as much a fan of Lost Metal, uh, and I love Air Two. It's so close to my heart, but Lost Metal maybe that's that's why I was so disappointed because Air Two was so close to my heart, but am um, still up there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but for Warbreaker, like I said, it's I consider it one of my top Cosmere books. I absolutely love it. I always say that it's the perfect mixture of political intrigue, Roman, uh, an amazing magic system, uh, mystery. It's like a perfect amalgamation of all those elements that I like. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, awesome. I adore this book. I know I'm looking at my top books list that I wrote back in July. And I did m- make a mistake and put Words of Radiance where I think I intended to put Warbreaker at number 14 overall. But yeah, th- those two books in my head are are the best two. Probably, maybe I still need to sort out Stormlight, but I adore this book. I, I have a hard time shutting up about how much I like it. <laughs> there are some things in it that like ultimately aren't perfect. I think that's one of the things that I can definitely acknowledge about it. And I can understand why people don't like it. But, like, I, don't, I just don't agree. That's okay. And there are some <laughs> things that, you know, don't work perfectly, but I'm like, all of the rest of it easily makes up for that. So, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So getting into it here, just in case you didn't know or in case you need a refresher on this, as we do in short pours, here's your book summary. Warbreaker tells the story of two sister princesses, Viviana Vivenna, excuse me, and Siri, and of the country of Idris. Vivenna has been raised her entire life to marry the God King of the rival nation of Halendrin in the hopes that this marriage will forestall Halendrin's invasion of Idris, which they have been threatening for years for reasons of political expediency, as well as the personal preferences of the King of Idris. Siri is sent unprepared in Vivenna's stead. Vivenna feeling her life to be devoid of purpose after Siri is sent in her place, follows her to Halendrin in hopes of rescuing her. Both Ciri and Vivenna then become involved in intrigues intended to cause war between their home nation of Idris and Halendran and attempt to prevent the war from happening separately. Siri from within the government and Vivenna by cooperation with the underground. At the same time, the novel tells the story of one of the returned members of the royal court, Lightsong, and his search for the truth behind the Halendran religion as well as that of his own identity. Lowercase i. The fourth story that the book follows is that of Vasher, a mysterious character with a talking sword named Nightblood and an impressive mastery of biochromatic breaths, the series telltale magic system. So that that gets you caught up in case you forgot basically on the, the whole premise of what goes on. A lot of political intrigue, a lot of rebellion. But I think one of my favorite things about this story is the characters. So I definitely want to talk about the different characters and truly the Diaspora of different representation that there is inside of the story with different personalities and the like kind of kind of flowing from each of these. I think that's one of my favorite things about the story is that everyone feels so different. Everyone's POV is so completely 180 from the next in different moments that it just makes everything clip along just so wonderfully. So we've got a ton to talk about inside of the range of characters and some things will pull in some other questions and thoughts. But we've got our pair of sisters, Vasher, Lightsong, Denth, Susebron, Blushweaver, Fingers. Who are some of your favorites? Where do we want to start? I can start.
1: So I have this problem in that I had so many trips and so many like road like I was driving a lot. I was flying a lot. I think I read one page of this in my like signed Mass-produced <laughs> paperback. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it was entirely listened to. Mm-hmm. So, for that reason, because I don't have the names, like, seared into my eyes, mm-hmm. I don't remember the names that well. I'm bad at it, and I recognize this as a fault of mine. But dense, sort of lackey guy. Tonk, or something? tonk fa. yeah Tonk fa He, I, I cracked up at him. Every single time that he was on the page. I didn't Every until single time he came
0: turns up. out to be murdering animals. But like, I thought he was hilarious well, until it's like, yeah. oh, oh.
2: <laughs> yeah, like it, Brandon sets them up to be like such a like classic comedy duo. Like we in The Devil's Cut kind of talked about the road to El Dorado a little bit. And when I first mm-hmm. read Warbreaker, my headcanon for Denth and Tonkfo is like Tulio and Miguel because they're just. So chaotic, mm. comedic, and they just do their own thing, you know. No S- regard for the law or the rules.
0: See, for me, Denth was always an ego montoya. Like in my head, Denth uh, yeah. is an ego montoya and <sighs> Tonkfa is the big guy. What's his name? Andre um,
2: the Giant. Or yes.
0: Fezic. Uh, I mean it is Andre the Giant, but Fezic <laughs> is the character's name. oh uh, no, Fezek is the little guy, right? Isn't it? Isn't he the um,
2: I I think uh, Fezic oh, is or the is it Fezic? No, I giant. think Fezic
0: is the giant. I think you're right. yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I like I instantly gravitated towards them. And it's like just this well that you're pulled into of much better executed comedy. And I know this this is a little bit metatextual, but Brandon talks about Denth as like this opposite to Kelsier in, in general, being like he basically has the exact same plot line. If you look at him, you know, under a too fine of a Microsoft scope, but he's an antagonist instead. And I think that's fascinating. And I infinitely prefer Denth to Kelsier. <laughs> infinitely.
2: Wow. Um, okay. That's a hot take. I
0: think he's way funnier. He's a he's way funnier. Like and he's the, the entire mercenary attitude, he just feels like a better built character than Kelsier does at the get-go in Mistborn. Secret history does, you know, it's still a character, I guess, but you know. <laughs> we know how I feel about that. I don't need to bring that up. That's trauma. <laughs> we'll talk about that in therapy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you on on Secret yeah. History, but don't want to yeah. get into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's that's like Dent and Tongva. I also adored them this time. I I picked up on that like Princess Bride buddy cop almost humor and mercenaries just like always hold a sweet spot in my storytelling heart. I love a good mercenary, so it just it hit right especially in this reread.
1: Yeah. I think Nightblood fits in towards the top for me as well, especially when he starts interacting with Vivena.
3: Mhm.
1: Just such an intriguing character (laughs) sword Uh, character sword (laughs) character and uh, Siri like Siri is so well done
2: yeah we love her Mm
1: -hmm. we do we love Siri in this household we were gonna bash you with the
0: keyboards if you didn't so (laughs) (laughs) the threat was very real
2: what what specifically do you do you like about her
1: oh asking me about specifics and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, PJ, welcome to our oh, podcast. No. <laughs> oh no. Isn't it so fun? Um, I mean, she she is smart and cunning and you see such a like tangible evolution from this like content with being unimportant to incredibly important. <laughs> character and like she she fits into it so well and she like we you don't get the same sort of um, internal struggle that you get with vin for example she's just adaptable and and like there's a little bit of sort of a learning curve but it's not like she's constantly trying to figure out exactly who she is and where she fits in she's just pretty rock solid and knows what to do
2: yeah like i think she's especially if you contrast her with Vivenna, I think she's very comfortable with herself. And that's why, you know, it was a lot easier for her to adjust to life in, in Helandrin, even though, you know, all the external things were a little bit confusing and the way, like the religion and how they, you know, treated their gods and everything. But internally, I think she knew who she was and that's why she was so flexible and able to adapt Whereas Vivenna mm. had that insecurity because she her whole life, she thought, OK, I'm supposed to have this role. This is who I am. And then the moment that got destabilized, she completely like had to find she had to find her sense of self again.
0: I'm I'm so with that. I think one of the things that I feel like is an, it, I, I understand why people critique it and why people don't like it. I I think a lot of people are like, I just don't like this book because of Vivenna's perspective. And I have to like, I just like grimace every time I hear that because I think that that is exactly where you're breaking down. It's this, it's not as though she was brainwashed, but it's as close as you can be to volunteering to be brainwashed in a certain direction and like being raised to do exactly one thing. And then, you know, having that part of your lowercase I identity shattered to like form yourself into something new and use that lesson. It's the definition of like book smarts versus street smarts in book format, like and that ability to adapt. I mean, not quite, but you, you kind of understand what I'm going for.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you about, I, I think when people, a lot of people, when they look at the versus Siri, you know, Siri's a lot more approachable. She's fun. She's outgoing. She's kind. She has all these, qualities that naturally you know you're more drawn to her Venna is a little bit harder to like because you know like especially in the beginning she can be quite judgmental and arrogant but I think what makes Vivenna such a powerful and compelling character is how her views evolve over the course of the book I mean everyone I think this is what Warbreaker is really about we start with all these assumptions and everyone has this idea of how things are supposed to work and then That gets upended for every single character, I think. But Mm -hmm. especially Vivenna, seeing her evolution and coming to understand herself and rebuild her identity after feeling so purposeless. I think I just have always loved her as a character.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like we also have to talk about Vasher in, in relation to Vivenna as well, because they're both kind of of a similar cloth, to say the least i mean like that's why i think that in the end in the back half of the story they mesh so well together is because they are of a similar mind to a lot of things vasher has moved past that stage of his life it feels like but what do we what do we think about vasher or warbreaker Um, depending on what what name you want to give him
2: there's quite a few or
0: yeah there's like i think he has five nicknames or something crazy like that inside of this book which is wonderful and i love it (laughs) because it gets real complicated and it's real fun
3: (laughs) yeah
1: So he, for me at least, he was kind of slippery to really get a grip on um, because he's so shrouded in mystery, especially for the first, like you get him in the prologue, right?
3: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And then we don't see him again for a while. Yeah. to Um, like mid twenties or something like
0: that, like in between like, like 15 and 20, I think is when he returns.
1: This constant sort of question of who was that guy? When's he coming back? What's happening? What's he all about? But seemed, his motivations seemed very noble. I don't think I really questioned his motivations much at all, other than, like, why does he have a horrible, murderous sword? <laughs> and why does he keep that basically as a pet the whole time <laughs> i mean we do kind of get that answer though right
0: like that's some of the fun bits about his perspective is that like he is this historical like he he isn't the literal first returned but he is one of the most important returned on the planet as one of the five scholars and mm-hmm. as not only being the one that started the fucking war but the one who ended <laughs> it <laughs> as well yeah
2: Yeah, I, Um, I just want to interject for one second. I love Mm -hmm. so much of Warbreaker is like a lot of the lore feels very like mythic and, and biblical, like the way that it's constructed. And I love that. And like the idea of having a character responsible for war and then being known as a different person and called by a different name. That's how these myths and legends evolve because when a person changes that much, people and and these stories are passed down. You're like, oh, of course it was a different person. How could it be the same? You know, and then suddenly one person becomes two people. And it's just I love how the like the lore evolves and how you can see that. Like, I think Brandon does that really well.
0: I, I think that that's one of my my favorite parts of the story is that there is this like almost foundational myth. And the that like myth that goes on to found all the major religions so far as we understand them is real again like th- there's a lot of there's a lot of fun that Brandon continues to play around with between the Mistborn series and between and with this book where it's like, hey, what if religion but real and like had a real kind of grounding and some sort of basis of of physical past. And that's why I love this idea of, of this mythology of the five visions and also of the five scholars and the way that we get handed those those different pieces of information about the world here. Yeah. Nalthus to me is just the most rich and fertile ground for storytelling that I'm just I'm I'm hungering for Warbreaker 2 in the worst. Yeah, kind of yeah. way.
2: I was thinking that. Yeah. Wait, why is that odd? No, it's a good thing.
0: No, I think it's great. Like, I want it so bad.
2: Yeah. And we need I need like I really want a book on the five scholars. And mm. I would love to have like some sort of technical book on like a um, what are they called? The the Breath. type two, yeah. type one, all those technical mm-hmm. terms. It would be so cool to have like a guide as if written by the five scholars. I think that would be fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great example of where like a, a Cosmere encyclopedia at some point would be very fun from like in world people. I'm sure it'll happen. It's going to happen. No doubt that there will be some like nice Physical like book that you can pull open and read about all the different magic systems, but I I do agree with you. It's one of those things where it's just like I want a little bit there. That's one of the things that I do appreciate about the Arzarkanum in this section is that a it's a very short Arzarkanum comparatively, but at the very least all the heightenings are listed there because (laughs) not the easiest thing to track while reading, Mm -hmm. but you can keep up with it because he does remind you pretty much every time. Because you're like the fifth heightening, and you're like what? Oh, that's when you okay. That's like the God Soul esque area. That's where Light Song is. Got it. Okay, good. We're we're there. How many souls and is that? Okay, five
1: hundred. Got it. Okay. What I don't appreciate about that is that the heightening scale mm-hmm. is low to high, but the awakened scale is high to low, or it, it's mean? it's the other way around. So like the first the first level awakened. I can't remember the term, but like the uh
2: or the biochromatic you awaken entities. Something?
1: Yeah, the entities. Mm. So like the first levels are the most complicated. And the second levels are less, third are less, fourth are less.
2: Well, wait, type four I thought was a was a object that has sentient. Wouldn't that be the most oh,
1: I thought I thought first was like a like the the Corpsy dudes, and second was like a sweater, and third was like a twig. <laughs> Well like, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do yeah, know what you mean. Yeah. Maybe I have it backwards.
2: I don't know.
1: Sticking out as but confusing.
2: It yeah, I don't uh, remember Vasher's lecture.
0: Give me give me two seconds. I'll I'll figure it out here. I do know what you're talking about though, because obviously Nightblood is fascinating as far as anything goes, and he is like a I think I want to say he's a type four.
2: Yeah, he is. He's a yeah, type four that- entity. Asher sure didn't want to tell the better about. Yeah,
0: so it it still counts up. It type one okay, is the I lowest. Was... Yeah, type two. So it, it's okay. It's okay to have that conflated, though, because I would say that that is the one thing that is confusing about the story for sure, and that definitely rewards on reread is like just knowing some of this stuff and having it in your back pocket.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, something you mentioned, Crossland was the yep. name of the world of Nalthus. Mm-hmm. Was that mentioned in this book at all?
0: No, but. It's mentioned in the Ars Arcanum in other places, okay. and it's mentioned gotcha. in the, oh, what's it called? Arcanum Unbounded, so I feel fine.
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. I just didn't I know. I can't tell you we're the Shard's sure we name, but I
0: can tell you that. Cool. <laughs> Sounds so, good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I I really appreciate the... I mean, OK, do we want to let's let's spin in the direction of magic, because that's obviously something that's important to the five scholars. And we we learn quite a bit about the five scholars on screen near the end of the story for the most part. But obviously, we know that Vasher is one of them to begin with. And we also find out that Claude was a scholar before he was killed. We find out, of course, that Denth was one of the scholars who was the sister of Shasha. Shasha, I think. Shashara. Yes, Shara. Of whom was killed by Vasher for trying to make another Nightblood because he was worried about that. But
2: was it that she was trying to make another Nightblood or was it that she was trying to use Nightblood for bad purposes or something?
0: I think that it was the idea of recreating it or like potentially distributing more. They were like, We could redo this but better, and he was afraid of that, if I remembered correctly. I'll double check, but
2: like spreading the technology uh, kind of.
0: Yeah, well, that that was the basis for the regardless of which way it spins. It was that he didn't want this to get out because it was already so dangerous and so many lives went into this thing. And they thought that they were doing something great when they gave it the command, you know, kill evil or seek evil or destroy, destroy evil, evil. I think destroy evil. And wow, is that a complex thing? Like the way that that can be interpreted in so many different ways and not enough bounds on that phrase. Ugh.
2: Yeah. I was, I mentioned this earlier, but TJ and Cross, what do you both think about mm. the ethical implications of a Vasher, you know, just throwing night blood to people and, oh, if they're impure of heart, then we'll get stabbed and they deserve it. But they wouldn't have gotten stabbed if he didn't put that obstacle in front of them for them to stumble on. So is that morally. Oh, this is a great
0: question. <laughs> I totally also <laughs> wrote this in the notes. That's very funny.
1: <laughs> but yeah pj what do you think it's pretty fucked
2: it's pretty it's very
1: (laughs) fucked i would agree that's that's pretty hard to wrestle with that's pretty hard to justify i i think it what it boils down to is the fact that his command is so so strictly rooted in vashers interpretation of
3: evil like evil is a I mean, it, 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 the, the definition changes based on
1: who's talking about it truly. So, but the definition uh, of evil
0: doesn't change to night blood, which is fascinating,
1: right? That's what I'm saying is that like anybody, but Vasher wielding it gets way more complicated, but even, even Vasher wielding it, it's such a, a binary statement. It's such a black and white like thing that he has in front of him that he wouldn't necessarily act upon like tiny bits of evil, but it's there. So let's go. Like, Oh, did we ever talk about what would happen? Did they talk about it in the book? What would happen if Vasher did something that would, that he himself would perceive as evil?
2: That's what I was just thinking. Like,
0: So a lot of this is to say that like the ability to resist Nightblood appears to be directly tied to someone's will to resist and like their capability of pushing against that, which might have something to do with the nature of how invested they are. That's my my first and foremost thought is like their ability to push back has got to be in some way relation. Nightblood PJ, you've been introduced to the most complex question in the entire Cosmere. Nightblood is the is the is like a problem to some degree because of a lot of the ways that he interacts with things and how this works because he appears to feed off of investiture and that leads to a lot of crazy questions about how exactly a lot of this works and begins to unpack the math behind
1: different investitures so that's gotta be like he's fascinating it's tons of fun just thinking about that has to make branderson sweat a little bit (laughs) (laughs) Could be why he's avoiding the next book, you know. It could <laughs> be. Like, I don't want to quantify that. What if he just doesn't include Nightblood in the next book? Mm.
2: Well, that's funny. Yeah. Should I? Is it?
1: No. Don't.
2: Don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just ignore that.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> but hit on yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> next I'm book what next it. book there's no next book i don't know what you're talking about but to, all that to say i did want to circle back on the thing regarding shishara it is he does kill her specifically because she believes in giving out all of this information regardless that the scholars discover and he thinks that this is too dangerous so it's kind of like nuclear prol- proliferation in its own way where it's just like no we can't and he's basically holding the nuke to himself and like Keeps that as his own burden throughout all of his lives.
2: I'm imagining a Oppenheimer moment when when Vaxton is holding Nightblood, like, "Oh no, what did I just do? To of evil."
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it it also seems like Nightblood can determine that someone's evil for seemingly any reason in the moment. Like it's it's it is discriminant in the way that it can attack things but at the same time it is it can encourage that out of people to like pick it up and to do some like there's so much that's interesting with nightblood that makes it fun sentient swords are the best that's all i have to say frostmourne nightblood <laughs> give them to me it's sentient swords
2: and yep. just one more question on that like when nightblood like when someone's tempted to pick up nightblood because they're quote-unquote impure like is Nightblood judging them in the moment? Is he judging them based on their life? What about their future? Because they can change. Like, we talked about Vasher, You know, like, he was responsible for so much destruction. Why wasn't he destroyed? You know?
0: How does Nightblood know is the other side of this? Like, how? And that's where I think it comes down to will, like we were saying before. Like, there's got to be something tied to either investiture or a person's will when they're holding it, that they're able to resist that aspect. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nightblood. So fun. You can understand how this can get like we could do if we went the 17 shard has done multiple episodes on Nightblood alone because it is such a complicated topic to break down a lot of this sort of directionality with the intent here. Little eye intent. Mm-hmm. But what about the other technology though? We talked about some of the other invested entities that come about this, the different levels of awakened people and things that the scholars made. There's the lifeless, there's Iker blood. I mean, obviously we talked about night, night blood, Iker alcohol, excuse me, not Iker blood. What do we make of sort of the way that this technology is spun into taking someone's life and ens- essence and either giving life to something else or rebirthing a body, but without like their cognition. What, what do you think about that aspect of the story?
2: Quite a loaded question. A lot to think it is about. a
1: very loaded. There's a, <laughs> much, much to consider. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know more about the Iker Iker alcohol. Iker alcohol. I've always said Iker.
2: I think it in- it's scrib- I- I- I either. Mean, you could say either, probably.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know the audiobook says Iker, but I know it's either way. Um, I'm I'm still a little fuzzy on it, and maybe I'd get more on a second read. But it is intriguing. Uh, all of it's so cool. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, all of it like, is so oh, fucking cool. Oh,
0: man. I fell for the trap again. <laughs> I <laughs> fell for the trap.
2: <laughs> I mean, just, I was thinking about the lifeless, and there's a moment when Avena is dealing with Claude, and she sees, mm. like, up until this point, she's developing, like, she has this idea that, uh, you know, lifeless are profane and it's cruel to use someone's body like that as a tool and everything. And then she thinks that essentially they have no humanity, but at one point she sees like what she thinks is a glimpse of humanity in Claude's face. Do you think that that is just her perception and her wanting to see that? Or do you think it's like an actual potential for something more than just a body walking around?
1: Is she imbued with all of those heightened, since breaths. breaths at that point? Yeah. Yeah, she is. Then I'm inclined to think that there's something there. Uh, I know there doesn't always have to be something when when there's a, like, hint given out like that. But Branderson tends to, like, hint at things before they, <laughs> before they manifest.
2: Yeah, I mean, Warbreaker is just chock full of foreshadowing and... Mm. Uh, and- big importation oh,
0: yeah and even for the story itself in a reread i got i got hit by a couple of things that i want to talk about later really hard in the second read for me that just melted melted me down into a slag pile of a person but i i do i do think we were just talking about by god the Oh, the, the hint there. I, I think that it's really interesting, especially if you tie it into hemolurgy, where there's gotta be something if you take someone's essence like that or they willingly give it up, I feel like that's gotta be a spiritual thing in the same way that hemolurgy is, where you're like adding someone's spirit to yourself. And so there's gotta be some component of life there. The question is, is it are they closer to a coloss or is it closer to a person? You know, yeah. that's my my thought process.
2: And uh, I don't think this was explicit in the book, but it, it's hinted. It's very, uh, very, what's the word? Uh, very lightly hinted to, but it's implied that Jules is actually sleeping with Quad because when he was alive, she was with him. So mm-hmm. if he has like a spark of life to, to him, makes it a little bit less disturbing. Uh, but if he's just like a remnant of a, who he was and basically like a shell of a thing walking around and that the implications of that are a little bit a little bit disturbing there
0: <laughs> i think that that is a fascinating thing to explore it has been in a lot of science fiction so i enjoy that it's there like this question of it being i think that that is a classic sci-fi like ray ba- bradbury almost question of like if i clone someone and i kill the original and you are dating them or living with them is it the same person is it the same thing and i just think that that's such a fantastic question to ask and i love that that was somehow replicated inside of a fantasy world to this effect Mm -hmm. and that we basically have that same question posed
1: i think it reminds me since you brought up kolos i i figured Mm -hmm. it's it's worth bringing up here too it reminds me almost of human Mm. And how, like that little shred of humanity starts to kind of shri- shine through, even though it's not supposed to, because of degradation of the actual magic system, right. the way that they're using it.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, my heart! My heart goes out for Claude and for Yee Steel, which is who he was originally, right? He's Yee Steel, yes, right? And yes. Denth is R Steel, if I remember. Denth is Trellides. Um, oh, Veritrellides. Yes. Who is? R steel is R steel still out there do we not
2: i think is our steel the one that we don't know yeah i think we yeah you're right i think we don't know him there was basher yeah. shashara yes steel R steel and veritilities
0: okay sorry i i backed that i i did that wrong R steel is Claude. ye steel is the one that we don't know i just flipped the uh, names, but yes, it's really yes, easy yes. because of the names but yes. but you're right on everything else i just flipped them yeah, because Ye Steel was the guy who discovered or alcohol, and he's still out there somewhere, we assume, in one of the other provinces out there in the story. Oh, my God. I'm so curious. Okay, so we –
3: You,
2: you made
0: this – Right. I'm I'm so with you, and it's a fun little mystery to still have this one – one of the five scholars missing. Not only that, but with us knowing that Returned exists to begin with, could Shishara be out there, potentially? Like, is there the potential for her to be returned out there, Um so, Vasher could m- make good with that past before, you know, heading into some kind of hermitage, I'm sure, or something like that.
1: But is steal the one that also improved upon Iker alcohol at the end?
0: No, ye still didn't show up in this book at all. He's just mentioned.
1: Well, but th- there's somebody that mentions that there's, like, an improved version of Iker alcohol that's being used now. I don't remember. Shishara was the
0: one who discovered that you could bring a lifeless back with a single breath, versus before I think it took fifty or something like that, so it was ineffective.
2: Yeah, I mean, just thinking about that, I also I like-
0: don't remember, and I reread the whole book in the last thirty six hours. <laughs> um,
2: That's probably why I yeah. can't
1: remember if it's in the in the epilogue or before that. But double check real quick. Thankfully, I have all of this at my fingertips
2: <laughs> while you're OK. Looking that, oh, sorry. Yeah. Never mind. Go ahead.
0: No, no, no. Fire. Fire away. You you go first. I was I was going to also transition.
2: OK. Yeah. I was just thinking that talking about, you know, your alcohol and bringing lifeless back with one breath, like it feels despite it being a magic system, it feels like a very strong parallel to how like science evolves in our world. Right. Like very much so, which is really interesting, like, you know. Discovering more efficient ways to do things, uh, like saying, oh, it doesn't require this much energy. You can actually do it with much less energy. Uh, And like the five scholars feel very, despite having this like ancient kind of um, aura around them, they feel very like progressive and modern, like scientists, which Mm -hmm. I like.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the benefit of having such a hard magic system because the characters themselves have have a unique physics system that they're working within. They, they don't see it necessarily as magic. They, they have these rules that they're discovering and working within. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just more more than what we have here. Um, so we get into that quite a bit in the last episode that hasn't come out yet in The uh, yes. Lost Metal.
3: I was thinking that. But
1: T-minus kind of reminds me of that. 13 hours.
0: Yeah. Um, I think that okay. makes so it makes sense, though. I did want to clarify. Ye Steel did invent Iker Alcohol, and then he also invented a better version. Okay. <laughs> so sort he of refined it in the end. So it, it was both at the beginning and at the end. So by the time it was there. Thinking about, like, PJ, you saying that thing recontextualized a whole character's POV in Stormlight Archive for me. And flip them on their head to think about them like Isaac Newton, and I think all of a sudden I appreciate it so much more than I did before because that is a very boring thing to have in a book, but can be like is so foundationally exciting.
2: PJ, you're going to be mm. excited. I might have I'm to so reapproach. I might have to
0: reapproach right? this. Yeah, I might have to reapproach this. Is the way that I think about it, but we'll we'll see when we get there. I don't I don't like that that just happened, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, I, I totally agree with you. I think that that is one of the fun things is when your characters are able to actually it's it's what makes it feel real as opposed to just a tool to get things done is if your characters actually need to invest themselves into like figuring it out and discovering in some way, shape or form. It makes it feel tangible and to okay. have this relationship with breaths to begin with, as well as the scientific process from Vasher uh, and the history therein. It's, it's just so good. It's so good.
2: Yeah, agreed. Yeah.
0: So we've talked a lot about the world at large here, which I, I think is really great. And that's part of the reason that I love the story so much. But I would love to focus in a little bit on some of the different plot elements here. So we haven't talked at all about the returned court and the politics there. So focusing in on Blush Weaver and Song, as well as the other sort of relationships that go on within the return court itself. What do you guys make of this sort of like immortal God, almost Grecian pantheon? portrayal inside of the story what'd you, what'd you think
1: it's uh, first of all very cool mm-hmm. and and like i i love how effective it was to to build up these importances but i felt kind of lost as far as the scale of importance goes mm-hmm. because of the sort of the god king's absence in in actual like presence you know mm-hmm. A but it seemed like he was gone for there, fifty but,
0: years, you know? Like mm-hmm. it was it was like he wasn't really
1: it, yeah. it's as though Zeus was
0: muted, right? And like everyone else is kind of squabbling underneath him.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And like It's a very strange dynamic. <laughs> it's fair. And like I, I didn't quite feel the weight of it for most of the story. Sure. Ziba, did you have thoughts there?
2: Oh yeah, I was just, uh, like, uh, when you said Grecian pantheon, yeah. it made me think of, I think Light Song at one point is referring to some of the other gods and he's saying, oh, one of them is wearing a wrap that only goes over one shoulder in the style of ancient returned or something like that, or ancient gods. And I, like, I love seeing these parallels to, like, real world uh, myths and history, and I thought that that was a nice nod to you know, Greek and Roman dress. I think that's what yeah. it is going for.
0: And I, I think that Pantheon, like the Greek Pantheon in particular is known for the most part for like it's brutality on one side. It's like willingness to sleep with mortals and like maybe kill your kids because like you shouldn't have done that. And sort of the infidelity there, but also like just the general frivolity of the court. And like, you really feel that in a way that feels very Grecian, Inside of the story, especially also with the environment and the temperature of the the place, it feels very Mediterranean, if not Greek, on the whole. At the very least, that's the environment that I get. I know that it's a little bit more tropical than that, but it still feels like it brings in a lot of those elements.
2: Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I agree. And I just yeah. love the all the scenes between the, the gods. Like, the Light Song and blushweaver Weaver scenes are absolute gold. Uh, their dynamic is amazing and like if you look at it, it you d- might think oh it's you know it's pretty superficial it's they're just bantering but it's so much more than that. Uh Blushweaver Weaver Reaver
0: really likes Light Song and Light Song is oblivious. I know it hurts d- me. It hurts me I actually
2: I don't think he's oblivious. He's actively no not yeah. going with it. Which is really yeah, interesting. Is-
0: He is choosing not to pursue it, which is its own thing. We we should, I definitely want to talk about the romance in in this book in general, but I don't want to go there right away. But (laughs) because it's missing from every other book up until this point, for the most part, so thank God. We're um, romance It actually feels real here. Thank you. (laughs) I know. You've proven that you can do it. Why didn't you do it? (laughs) It's kind of my issue here. But, needless to say, I, I really appreciate their relationship and i do think that like while i i don't think that he doesn't key into it, or that he's not choosing it i think that he believes that on a long enough timeline he can let it happen because he's going to exist in perpetuity as he sees himself he can't imagine for the most of most of the story ever turning to sacrifice his life for someone else and so like he just he is willing to toy with and play with the world so long as it is his toy and his plaything. that's just kind of his attitude to some
3: degree
2: yeah and then I think, as we get further in the book, he surrenders that attitude a little bit, and he yeah t- starts to take things a lot more seriously and more reverently and
0: it's that like behind the hand conversation that he has with Siri, where it like all breaks down like it it becomes like I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm very cognizant of, of the actions that I'm taking. And by the way, here's an update on everything that I've seen that eventually leads to the scene with Hoyd in Chapter 32. But it's right around that section, I want to say like Chapter 27 or something like that, where that begins to kind of unfold and mm-hmm. roll forward. It's like, oh, you are more than just ditz, aren't you? <laughs>
2: like, what do you think about Light Song, PJ? Because I, when I read it, I'm like, I think PJ is really going to like Light Song. I want to know.
1: I did like light song. (laughs) I mean, it allowed for a very refreshingly sort of, I don't think it's right to say unjaded because I think it's a fairly jaded view of a lot of the, of the gods, but it's a, an untainted view, I guess. It's a very honest point of view when it comes to a lot of the gods.
2: Mm -hmm. So,
1: I think that's my best way to describe it. I really enjoyed him.
2: Yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I think Brandon's really good at getting one character that, you know, wrestles with theology in a really compelling way. And Lightstorm is that character for this book. And what's refreshing about him is we've got, for example, in Mistform, we've got Sazed, who is, you know, very serious, very practical, down to earth person. And then we have Rathen and Elantris, who is also more of this, a serious type. And then Lightsong, who is a god, like irreverent about his own re- religion and, you know, wrestling with is this religion even valid? Uh, so we have that struggle, but it's kind of lightened with his irreverence and humor, which I really like.
0: Mm-hmm. There, there's so much fun inside of Light Song's perspective, which is something that I think. I don't feel like it doesn't exist in other characters, but if you compare, like, Light Song's characterization and humor to Wayne's, for instance, in the first couple of books, Wayne is reverent and funny and, like, definitely there. But if if I hold the two up to a mirror, which one do I believe more? Light Song feels like he fits the world, and Wayne sometimes feels like this caricature, right, which we've talked about a couple of times on the show and kind of made a big point of saying that's why we like Lost Metals because he doesn't feel that way, finally – And I uh, I love that about this character. And it it, it feels like it's been missing in a couple of books inside of Mistborn versus I know it's in Stormlight. I know it's in other things, but oh, God, I just I I yearn for more light song. And unfortunately, he is gone forever.
2: I know. So like that was heartbreaking. Yeah, I guess we'll get to it when we, you know, go through the book. But get to it. Right. Uh, But. Yeah, like I just want to add, I think Brandon said something about how part of Light Song's character was influenced by like those classic Oscar Wilde type characters who, you know, have this amazing banter, but they also wrestle with, you know, really important issues and they have that like irreverent attitude. Like I always just picture Light Song with like that classic, I don't know, he has a British voice for me for some reason, Mm -hmm. because he's just like. It's like he stepped out of an Oscar Wilde play. He's like a fantasy, (laughs) fantasy version, which I really enjoy. Like it, yeah, I like that, that aspect of him and his like avoidance of, you know, anything like serious or important. And then that all catching up to him. It's just, it's a, it's a great evolution. I like it.
0: I, yeah. Uh, it's it's hard not to like light song. I think. I mean, PJ. I hope mm-hmm. you like the light song. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I think I said that. I'm just making sure. I have to double
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You said it. Hey,
2: you like, <laughs> so you like light Say song?
0: Say you like light song out loud. Do it again. Okay, one more time. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I have so much adoration for the story in so many different ways. So it's so hard to like try to focus in on what particular thing we should talk about, which is also why we haven't been talking so much about the plot. So maybe it makes sense to focus back on some of that elements. And I think one one way to do that is a character that we haven't talked a whole lot about. And that's going to be Siri and Susebron's kind of plot lines inside the story, which are so important to the core of the story and are excellent. I think one of the fun things to talk about the production of this book is that it was released for free as like weekly chapters effectively. And it's been revised the most out of any of Brandon's books, which is fun because you can actually version track it all on his website. So you can actually see the editing process and how things changed over time, which is fascinating. But that said, one of the core things here in this relationship is how this builds. And we kind of know Ziva PJ. I think you may have heard this, but like this was written and begun for Emily who is Brandon's wife and is like dedicated. I believe it's dedicated to her it is, if I remember yeah. correctly uh, as a part as basically a wedding gift. So mm. there's, there's a lot more romance, a lot more love inside of this book, of course, naturally. But what do you, what do you make of the pair here between Siri and Susebron as well as like the intro, the uncomfortable intro into the discovery about Susebron's reality and then kind of the way that the story goes from there. Hmm. How'd you feel about the scene where she was jumping up and down in the bed uh-huh. cl- without any clothes on? Oh my God, how'd you feel? I mean, like, <laughs> what? what uh, do you want me to break the silence? It's, that's that's where we got to start, so right?
1: Fucking weird, super um, fucking weird.
0: <laughs> but like, also,
1: I mean, understandable. I, got it. I understood. Yeah, I, yeah, it makes sense. Right. Their relationship is. I I don't think there's any way to avoid it not being like. I, I don't think there's any way to avoid it being awkward. Like it, it is an awkward. Relationship naturally because he is effectively a child and it, it makes for a really, really strange romantic pairing. And it doesn't really come across as romantic most of the time. Like there, there's obviously the sort of implications of them being married and them having this duty to, to conceive a child, conceive an heir. Um, but beyond that, like it is mostly a like almost a coming of age story for susabron in a really weird way (laughs) (laughs) kinda yeah
0: unfortunately he's been a god king for 50 years (laughs) so like it's
3: it's been a bit but
0: he's been a kid forever i mean and that's you know to that point fascinating not that he doesn't have the maturities we find out as he just develops basic language skills he suddenly is very mature As you know, I think I, I would hope would actually happen. I don't, I don't hope that we would have a, oh my God, what's the actor, the, the Encino man sort of situation from that Brendan Fraser film. Have neither of you seen Encino man? Did I just like date myself and out myself? God damn it. (laughs) No, I haven't Um, seen it. It's fine. (laughs) Basically, Brendan Fraser is Tarzan frozen in a rock and then he's dug up out of the backyard and defrosted and he tries to go to high school (laughs) as this like, yeah, that's the whole premise of the movie. Anyway, (laughs) Iceman, but Encino Man. Yeah. okay. Anyway, It, it has those elements to it to me where it's like, obviously, you would catch up a lot faster because you have so much learned experience. Encino Man, you don't. So I'm sorry that actually doesn't work. But here He's lived for 50 years. He's absorbed the, you know, the words of everyone around him for so long. It it works in the end, but he is effectively as good of a communicator as a child for a good chunk Mm -hmm. of the book.
2: Yeah, it definitely creates this awkward start for sure. But I think it's a really nice exploration of like how intimacy develops and how like mutual respect develops as well. Uh, and, yeah, I just think that they're, as much as, like we said, the the beginning is very awkward, given that one of the partners can't really communicate. Uh, I think it's really, you know, powerful that Siri helps him actually build up, like, the ability to to communicate. And then, you know, like, I think they both learn from each other. You know, like, Siri, I think, has... Not as much as Benna, but she has, like, this narrow-minded conception of, like, uh, what Halandrin is and, you know, why people worship and everything. And Suzy Brown kind of gives her some insight into into that. And then Siri kind of opens up Suzy Braun's world also a lot more. So I love that aspect. And can I just talk about in the morning that, like, he writes, the first thing he writes is, I love you. So, oh, gosh, love it. So cute.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. PJ, you got to talk about how you feel about this because you've not said a word about this relationship. What do you mean? You, you haven't said anything. You said that he was like a child. I demand more. Yeah. and uh, I demand like- more. Fair
1: enough.
2: I also demand more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think what I love about it so much is how much, how, how impressionable he is and like he he is understandably pretty stuck in his ways pretty pretty rooted in exactly how he's been raised and how he's been taught to do things, and told he was supposed to do things for half a century, but just being able to chow down and eat three pastries <laughs> with with three bites and like there there are some very, very cute, wholesome funny moments between them that are that are so intimate and um i think probably pretty difficult to capture but it's really really well done
2: yeah i think brandon actually mentioned that some of those scenes like where they were ordering food and stuff was inspired by his honeymoon i think where He, like, they were, they realized they could get room service like really late. So they would just like order and stuff. I think he said that that's where it came from. I
0: I had this impression that that was kind of the way that this went, but like, I didn't, I didn't know that it was even semi textual. It just, it felt like that sort of. God, I I hate imagining, (laughs) truly, I I hate imagining this being Emily and Brandon sitting across the room from each other, like ordering rooms. I can't imagine it because they went on so many, like, there's such a sweet story between the two of them that I I really appreciate. But I, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the most personally influenced books just because of the nature Mm -hmm. of when it was written.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. One chapter at a time, too. That's the other thing. Like, this was very much like a weekly serialized, not a weekly, but it was a serialized release. So Mm -hmm. thanks for a very different kind of approach to everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's going to make editing really kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, which is why there were six versions plus some points in the middle there. I mean, even the audiobook version, I think, is version two or three. And the book version that I have in my hands is version five and the leather bound is version six, which is the final version. So like there, there are minor differences between it. A lot of it is either language or, you know, some like very, very, very minor shifts in details. Nothing super significant from those late versions, the early versions. Of course, you can really like read the raw writing and then see how it changed over time, which is fun. One of the, for instance, one of the version one to version six changes is Peace, not Peacebringer. What was her name? The curvaceous woman, not Blushweaver. Mercy Star. Mercy Star. Yeah. I don't know. I wouldn't hope. She is described as orange, yellow and gold and instead is simplified to like orange and gold. Um, yes.
2: In the audio book, at least that's what it is. Orange.
0: Yes. Yeah. But that was one of the differences between one and I think three. And there are a couple of other, like, just simplifications to, like, try to draw down on some of the aspects here and there. But, uh, I adore it. And this book was written in 2009. I mean, so it's been it's been a bit all told. This puts it the first book post. This book feels worlds apart from the Hero of Ages. Worlds apart in terms of quality. And this was a year after.
2: Yeah, I know how you feel about Hero of Ages. <laughs>
0: I, I, I mean, I, I like the book. I'm not saying I don't like the book, but I'm yes. saying, like, quality-wise, like, the language, the characters, the relationships, the – just everything feels like it's on a completely different level to me, at the very least. Like, I, I feel like I can read it that way.
2: I, I can agree with that. Yeah. What do you think, PJ? I loved PJ?
0: Hero of Ages until Secret History ruined it for me.
1: What? That's right. <laughs> what do you think, PJ? Um, I mean, I, I've learned that I can't really – sort of chronologically place anything that Brandon writes based Mm. on like that sort of textual context, because I would have guessed Elantris was well after Mistborn.
2: You mean that it was written after Mistborn or that it was?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Like it it just feels, and this is in that same sort of ball game. This is in, in the same realm for me because it feels so much more complicated, but all of the characters feel so much more rooted and maybe it, maybe it's just the nature of it being so much more political, and and inherently interpersonal, as opposed to like I'm gonna go fight God.
2: If <laughs> <laughs> you have to sum up Kelsey in one
1: sentence, <laughs> I gotta go fight God. Brb. <laughs> <laughs> so like they, they're they're different stories, and they they are different sort of themes that they're tackling. Sereni versus Vin. Like, Serenity feels so much more fleshed out than Vin does in the first Mistborn.
2: Yeah. Um, um, I mean, maybe part of it is because Brandon had to fit, like, you know, Elantris is one book, whereas Mistborn is a trilogy. So, like, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the most fleshed out version of Vin right away.
1: Yeah. but Yeah, that makes sense.
2: I get what you, what you're saying. She's so cool. She is so cool. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: Crossland, you actually went to
0: go fight God? I did go to go fight God. No, I went to get water. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Uh, But I, so, so my thing, my thing here is that I, I feel like this book is a lot of, what was that?
1: Hmm? He brushed off the question. I I think he lost against God.
0: Lost against God. Yeah, I did just BRB real quick (laughs) to fight God. I only fight God when I've got bathroom problems, but that that didn't happen in that time span.
3: I don't know. What what
0: when else when else do you fight god on a daily basis, PJ? It only <laughs> happens to me on the porcelain throne. Only happens to me in the pooping room. That's the only place that I go to fight god. That's also where I keep my gods for the record, just like the Lord Ruler. i rolled that oh, joke goodness. back into a different joke. <laughs> We're going to stick with you that. We have to
2: bring it back. It it has to be a tradition. <sighs> every every new series, you just have to bring up the pooping room.
0: It's it's unavoidable. It's very we had a couple of these throughout Red Rising as well that just like stuck around. I mean, like our boy was a Red Rising thing for sure. that's just stuck around forever. But
2: do we have an um, our boy for so this book? Sousa oh, Brown? my
0: God. Who is our boy? Who is our boy? PJ? Can you think of our boy? Could you pick an our boy? Uh, I don't think uh, he can be Vasher. He's a little bit too evil to be our Sousa boy. Sousa probably. Yeah, I
2: think it's Sousa, Sousa Bond. Bond. He's the most innocent or Light Song. <sighs> Light Song Song's
0: pretty good. You know who I think our boy is? Who? I think it's the priest. I think it's Lalamar or uh, Lamar. L- L- God, I hate saying I his think... name. Lalamar. I think it's Lalamar. That's, that's who I would pick as our boy. I, I can pick the other two. I can agree. But I want to put Lalamar on the pedestal, especially in this reread. It actually, oh my the very yeah. first scene he was in, it made me tear up on this reread because I knew about the brotherly relationship between the two and it broke me because he's like i must have been i must have been worthless in my previous life and he like he reacts really like negatively to that reaction and on your first read you're like oh it's because he's like talking himself down it's a god religious thing and then in a reread you're like no it's because he's literally his fucking brother and like he watched him die to save his daughter and it's like oh <laughs> why you did this to me the first fucking pov brandon <laughs> what? you know it
2: really hurt yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's so to tough. me,
0: I think he's my boy.
1: We we can agree on mm, an R boy, but I think that he's my boy.
2: Okay. I'm gonna go with for me, it's gonna be light Okay. I'm going with Siri. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I can I can see that. Or the king. I'm going with Siri's dad.
2: Oh, dad, okay. Oh, my God. Let's
1: talk. Let's talk about that shit. Yeah. 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 Go
0: ahead. Go <laughs> off.
2: OK, please. Yeah, I have a lot of anger about this.
0: Yeah, you should.
2: <laughs> OK, first of all, it, like setting every one of your kids up to fulfill th- a certain role and like that's their identity. I get it. He's the king and he has a responsibility and whatever. I don't think he understood how psychologically damaging it is to have your oldest daughter take on all this responsibility for. Over 20 years have her whole life, as she said, basically stolen by the looming prospect of going to Halandrin and being Susan Brown's wife. And then to take that away from her because he can't deal with it. Like he can't deal with her leaving. So he is going to completely upend her entire purpose and then have her feel like, what am I doing here? What did I just do for the last 20 years of my life? Like how selfish can you get? Yeah. I just had to and,
3: go
1: on that <laughs> No, you're totally right. To, to add to that, his rationale behind it of basically saying, like, no, she's my favorite or series, my least favorite, effectively, like he, he wrestles with trying to say it in a nicer way. But the, <laughs> that's that's his reasoning.
2: <laughs> I know. And it's like it.
0: his monk daughter can't. He doesn't want to send his old daughter, so he sends the young one. He's like, "Fuck it, she's not worth anything." And that's basically the entire plot of the book is determined on that moment.
2: Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. the worst. He reminds me. He gives me Denethor vibes.
0: Very real. Denethor, Except he's not who? as blatantly. Oh, he's
2: not as blatantly mean, but it's worse because it's so like insidious. Like Siri knows that he prefers Vivetta. Like, she yeah. knows. And that's really got to hurt. Like, as much yeah. as she brushes it off and she's so casual about it, like, oh, and the fourth daughter, yeah, I rebel, you know, that's just my thing. No, if you grow up knowing that your dad actively, it like, that you're his least favorite child, that's, like, psychologically damaging.
3: hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would totally agree. I... I, I love the Denethor comparison. I just want to i the the Tolkien nerd in me wants to <laughs> clarify that Denethor in the novel is very different than Denethor in the in the movie, and like they do have different aspects. I would say this is movie Denethor though to a T. This mm. is that that sort of angry angry dad. A real real book Denethor is still kind of a piece of shit, but he's a, much less of a piece of shit, and he's really kind of holding the throne. He still doesn't want to give up the power, but it's not quite the same sort of game.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it's been a while since kids. I read the books. It's a very I, different thing. I, I had the movie totally in my fair.
0: Mind. I'm just, you know, I just gotta. I just Denethor I in particular it. is one of the few aspects that I thought got done dirty by the Tolkien or by the adaptation to begin with. But that and our boy Bombadil,
2: <laughs> <of> <laughs> Meaning, whom is our he boy. was completely blacked out,
0: excised. <laughs> yeah, completely excised. <sighs> what? You mean that random stop in the woods? No. <laughs> we, don't, we don't fucking need that. No one needs that. Who needs that? Well, he's kind of the counterpoint to Sauron, if you think about it in a long enough time frame.
2: that mean, be no. like if they did a Cosmere, if they did like a any Cosmere adaptation and left out Hoid. Okay. Sort of.
0: Kind of. I ad- I understand where you're going for. It would be. That's the closest comparison for the Cosmere. But that I can talk about. Actually, there, there's another one that I can think about that's a little bit more apt, but I can't say. But there, like it's it's this idea of like flirting with some, with like a major theme throughout everything, and then just excising it completely from the adaptation. Hoyd, you couldn't remove for yeah, plot reasons. Yeah, he's too yeah. Um, he's too integral. But like. It would be like not talk like you have 16 shards. It would be like not talking about some of them at all. Like it would just be like ignoring someone being like, oh, yeah, they died. And that's it. And that's all you'd say. Like that's effectively the way that that's treated with Bombadil. This yeah, is what yeah. we do: we go okay. off on random weird Lord of the Rings tangents. And that is how this happens. So but the king of Idris blows. Um, uh, it's where I think it's worth taking a second to talk about this sort of general political makeup of these different countries as well as obviously the primary group that's the inspiration for the rebellion the pawn call of whom are pushing in the end for this rebellion that leads us to the end of the plot what what do you guys make of the pawn call of the sort of hollandren versus idris relationship and the way that hollandren has kind of taken over things in time what do, you, what do you what do you make of the geographical risk-like warfare of the situation I get Australia vibes from Idris, if I'm being honest. <laughs> if we're talking about a risk map. Well, if we're talking about a risk map, they're like, I have two... I get two people every turn in addition to my normal troops, and I'm going to put them on Indonesia, and no one will invade me until the end of the game when I ultimately lose to whoever owns everything.
2: Yeah.
3: Second place. We're a bit disadvantaged. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, the... Halandrin and uh, I keep wanting to say palindrome. I know that's <laughs> wrong. How do you pronounce that, Idris or Poncall? No, 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 no. Hello-
2: pon- I think Halat. Hello- oh, pon- Poncall call is okay.
1: two words,
0: so that might help you. Poncall. Okay. Call. okay. Yeah. So most people see them as the same people, right? Correct. Yeah, it's a subsect. They're a state, basically. You know that was acquired.
1: I mean, it's like. Tibet, almost.
0: <laughs> That's a good comparison. I I would equate it in North American history to like Native Americans in general. It's it's sort okay. of like they moved there and they took over the land,
2: and but we're, they just we're, became
0: gotcha. subsumed.
2: Were Concall like indigenous to like? Do you think they were? Yes,
0: the, they were indigenous people. That okay. was kind of the way that it's described.
2: I can't uh, remember. Okay, me yeah.
1: Okay. Um, the, I do. They have their own government at all? Do they have leadership? Or is it entirely sort of fragmented, sort of individual
0: cells operating? So it was during the many war in which they were conquered. So I mean, they were they were. I a mean, country. Pres- oh, presently they don't have their own government. They're just a district. They're like a, they're a people. They're a culture. Okay, and so it's a culture striking out against a larger repressive religious functioning
1: group. But there there has to be a unification for it. Like there there has to be some sort of Well they have a religion.
2: And they have clothes. Okay. They only wear brown. But I don't know if mm-hmm. that's them or that's halandrin imposing that on them.
1: I mean I, I guess this it feels more coordinated than it's just kind of fingers
0: kind of acting on his own. Oh he's definitely not acting on his own. It's definitely very so-
1: coordinated. Right. So, is that through the church, through through their religion, or is that?
0: I think it's just a rebellious group within the culture itself. It's it's okay. meant to be a rebellion on the whole of their society because they it it is kind of caste like, and and a lot of the this is sort of a general thing for a lot of Warbreaker, but there is sort of a caste breakdown as you think about the sort of the people on their different levels of heightenings and the way that they're allowed into different events, and then on top of that, you have the different religions and how they're respected instead of Halandren. Yeah, you know, there's a lot there,
3: mm-hmm.
0: Siva.
2: Okay. Oh, I was just, yeah, I was thinking about we had Var, who was the rebellion, yes. or who was the rebel from the prologue, and mm-hmm. he was also pun call, but it's implied that it was like very, like roughshod, like not coordinated very well, just kind of like a, uh, like a haphazard, you know, oh, I'm gonna get everyone's breaths and we're gonna somehow do this, and then it just fails, you know. So it wasn't very coordinated either. I think they're like, they don't really have such a unifying element. It's more like whoever can muster up the most strength and people they're going to try to take over. Okay. That was a, God. that was a twist because I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah.
0: Just, it's a people fighting for the rebellion. And that is, it does. This is one of the critiques is that that does kind of come as a shock inside of the story because we don't have a POV from the pawn call side for the most part. So it's, It comes as kind of a a left field punch, but we do see Bluefinger being very suspicious throughout the entire story, obviously manipulating things in the background, including Siri, to do his bidding.
2: Yeah, I just Mm -hmm. love the concept of him, like a nervous Mm -hmm. steward with like ink stained fingers, just doing everything behind the scene, but also not like a crafty type of villain, nervous, uncertain, almost like timid kind of, mastermind
3: reminds mm. me of oh my gosh
0: come back to me i i'm trying to think of the author's name it's so obvious rowling's blends like the the goblins in particular have a very similar kind of element to them where they do feel she has other problems with the goblins but they do have this sort of same element of like nervousness but there there's almost a pretense to them in a way that reminds me specifically of the way that blue fingers behaves
2: Mm-hmm. I can see that like kind of yeah. a, like a obsequious. I don't know if that's the right word, but like very yes. like, oh, we pay attention to the rules and we do whatever, mm-hmm. but there's a sinister element to it.
0: Yeah. There's something else going on there. Yeah.
2: Well, can we, can we talk about the, uh, the twist? Are we up to that yet? Or do you want to talk about, I mean,
0: we can talk about whatever, at whatever point, what do you want to talk about? What's the twist? Which twist do you want to talk about? Which one? Huh?
2: The one there's that a couple. crunched me in the gut when Vivenna <laughs> went back to uh Denth and Tongfa's hideout to supposedly be saved from Basher and she did not Mm. know what she was walking into.
3: That
0: is such a crazy moment inside of the story. PJ, what'd you what do you think?
1: So what what all happened in that
0: Instance that was the moment where she where Denth reveals that they were that she was effectively being kidnapped by like R- right but what brought of that on
2: she what? got kidnapped by Vasher sorry do you mm-hmm. want
0: to Vasher was trying to liberate her right that that's what I was gonna say it's like Vasher was liberating her from what was happening and was like trying to take her away from whatever was going on in the background because he thought something was wrong okay but she thought <laughs> that she was being abducted
1: yeah um. That was a wild (laughs) turn of events. I didn't, I I truly didn't see that coming at all.
2: (laughs) That was so masterful. The idea of having somebody
1: kidnapped without realizing that they're kidnapped. Are there any like tropes that deal with that? Does that happen in like literature in general?
0: Not in this way. Like, this is. An interesting form of a spin on Stockholm syndrome, right? Like this is Mm. not that any of this is Stockholm syndrome strictly, but it is a it is reminiscent of the idea of like someone takes you in and then they make you believe what they want you to believe. And then you believe it. You just you ride with it forever. And they had enough evidence along the line to provide us and uh, Vivenna with the idea that like, hey, They're for me. They're supportive. They're like, they were contracted to do a thing. It's like, yeah, they were, but they weren't paid the amount of money that they should have been. And like, there's all kinds of different complications that get us to where we are. And that's why I love mercenaries inside of stories. They're always wild cards and it's so much fun.
2: And like the way it's done is masterful because once you get to that twist, you're like, it was literally under our noses. Like it's Mm -hmm. explicit foreshadowing. Like it's like, Dent the whole time is like, yeah, we're mercenaries. We just do what we're paid for. And like, oh, we like killing people. Ha ha. And then it's it's like, once you take off that veneer of humor and you realize they were serious the whole time. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like just the, the realization that the reader and the characters were both taken in. You know? Like, we don't have that dramatic irony where like, we know that Ven is in trouble uh, when she's with Dent and Tongva. We're like, oh, yeah, Dent and Tongva are chill. Like, you know, they're protecting from Vasher. They're so, like, they have this cr- camaraderie, you know, and Vasher is this, like, evil, mysterious guy. And then we, at the same time as Vivena realize, and it's like, oh, no.
0: <laughs> Truly jaw-dropping for me. I mean, like, especially in a reread, it was just excellent.
2: And, mm. yeah, the whole, like... Ugh parlin guys how do you feel about parlin
0: <sighs> you feel pj how do you feel about parlin do you remember parlin i don't remember parlin he is the adrian of whom oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah Please he's God. the adrian
1: i like uh, he was just such a depressing <laughs> character <laughs> Uh, I, I can't remember
0: if it's Parlin or his boss who gives the perspective on the Idrian nature of things, right? Where it's like, we could go in Vivenna is like, come back is like, we could go to the king. You should go to the king and petition and we can give you resources. We have plenty to share. We just need to know where to distribute them. And he's like, well, it takes weeks to get there versus very much less time from the Southlands to get here to do work. And that is such a fascinating way to see like the way that those economics dissolve with the lack of ability to communicate effectively over distance and mm. just sort of the way that that breaks down. And that is such a sad thing because there are, we know that the Idrian people don't have like an overwhelming number of resources, but they could probably take care of the farmers as requested. It's just, it, it reminds me very explicitly of the emperor's new groove and Poncha and all of the other people of whom come to the top of the Island to like get Am I, again, talking to an audience who hasn't seen The Emperor's No, memories? I've seen it.
3: I haven't. No. Sorry. What?
0: <laughs> You've seen the Rodel Dorado and you talk about it yeah, so you know. lovingly and you missed the better of the two movies? How dare you? I'm just kidding. How dare
2: you say it's, it's better? Controversial. Okay I mean, I'll you watch haven't it. seen I'll it, so you, it. you
0: can't compare. I've seen both of them, so I can say least <laughs> <apparently, laughs> with my own confidence that one is better than the other. The Emperor's new groove is so good, but like to that same degree, there are petitions to the Lord and the Emperor, and like it's just like going up to that hill and like asking for help, and then in the case of the Emperor's new groove being denied, but in this case, it's like that trip that trek takes such a long time and so much effort, and it's just it's such a Oh, it's such a tangible part of this world that makes me really like kind of sigh for them and, and think about the, the sort of pain that Parlin and the families there went through to like make them go against their religion to some degrees just to survive. There's so much yeah. richness to this world and controversy and gray in a world of color. is just fascinating.
2: And like the way the slums were developed, it's like, oh yeah, Vivetta, mm-hmm. you know, these are Adrians. And she's like, huh? Like, Yeah. You know that's what happens to immigrants. They come in, they want to make their own space. It gets neglected. You know this is what happens, and like Vivenna is getting this dose of reality. At, and also, like in terms of Parla, and just back to him for a second, that scene when like Vivenna has this possessiveness about him, and she's like, "Why are you? Why are you hanging out with Jewel so much? Why do you like her?" And then he's like, "We're not engaged. Like, why are you so upset?" And she's like, "Well, that's what our parents wanted." And he's like, okay mm-hmm. but like you never even respected me you never you like i always felt like i was stupid you always looked down on me and like Venna she just had this idea that like he was hers and that's it he's intended for her but like she never didn't treat him like a person and that caught up to her and she realized like i totally neglected him like i i totally took advantage i used him as a tool and yeah and then he got killed so sad for no reason just tortured because,
0: to death, no less by tong just because Tongfa is
2: Tonga like Fah a, a letter C- psycho yeah,
0: but a funny one
2: I know that's what's so <laughs> sinister about it
0: P- Peter's like, but I like him, and i'm like <laughs> i I get yeah, I really like him too, but not not enough to you know
3: torturing his
2: pets
1: yeah, that's pretty fucked
2: yeah. yeah like i I remember being especially like chilled at that part I was like. He didn't he he didn't lose them like I thought he was just like absent-minded like what do you mean he he systematically tortured them that's that's horrible Brandon why. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah Brandon why
0: indeed (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of Brandon why in this book which I think I feel, I feel very tortured for a lot of our characters. I think Parlin's a good example. I think Jules is a good example with Claude. Yes. I, I think that Vasher is a perfected version of a tortured character that, like, it felt like he was maybe intending Kelsier to feel like, or maybe Marsh to feel like.
2: Ooh, um, yeah. I can see the parallels to Marsh. Uh,
0: and I, I just, I love, I love how just well executed the story feels across the bat like it just it, it all it all rings for me that said i would be remiss if we didn't talk about hoyd and the section and the entire chapter that is basically devoted to hoyd and it is a unique chapter compared to anything else pj that we've seen so far from hoyd with him weaving stories with sand and dirt and other things and making inanimate objects come to life and breathing not literally in the breath way, <laughs> but like breathing life into something that otherwise doesn't feel like it should be animate. What would you think about him as a storyteller inside of this world in the way that that goes?
1: I loved Hoyt here. Mm-hmm. Hoyt here feels so much more like a full character, uh, but just the, the amazing theatrics to his storytelling and, and the props that he brings to life. And like it, it's just so fucking cool. He's
2: it's not that just flare. so
1: cool. He's got that flair. And I, I wish we saw more of him. Um, we get, we get that sort of one interaction. And that's about it. Right. Like, mm-hmm. do we see him kind of.
2: No, uh, I don't think, so. I think that's
1: it. Or I think that might be it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciated Hoyd here.
2: What do you think about the young face with the white beard? Interesting, eh?
1: Yeah, it's described as almost like it looks like it's a fake beard, right?
2: Yeah, or that it looks like it's it's dyed because it's not supposed to have a white beard.
1: I, I'm sure there's a reason for it. <laughs> um, but I don't know what to make of it. And it's basically just shooting in the dark so- at this point.
0: So at this point, PJ, I feel like I have to throw out this theory, right? Given some of the things that we know, and I'm not going to tie this in too much to Hoyt, but it kind of ties back to Hoyt, right? Talking about world hoppers and people that move between worlds. There is that character in the Hero of Ages of whom whistles and has perfect pitch in all the different scenes that he's in with Spook. And by God, I want to remember his name. With Spook? Yes, with Spook. Spook. Uh, In the, the Hero the, of Ages, he's the informant. The guy. He's the he's the guy who leads him into all of the meetings. Yep, it, I think it does start with a D.
2: Why am I not remembering this at all? I, this is my first time even picking up on that. Like, thanks, Dern. His name I no is idea. Dern.
0: His name is Dern. But specifically because he has perfect pitch, makes me believe that he's a world hopper. Because when he whistles. He's like there's almost like a sickly pureness to it, is the way that it's described, and so hmm. I can't help but think that he is in a similar vein to Hoyd, like traveling the worlds and being this this sort of world hopper. We haven't met, you know, more than Hoyd and Yasna and or sorry, not Yasna, Jesus Aj, there- and Chris. Sorry, yeah, I Chris and Yasna get confused in my head all the time.
1: Yeah, um, is there similar. any credibility yeah. to Dern being
0: Hoyd? Oh, no, I don't think so. N- none, of, no. none of the traits match.
2: Well, he, I mean, he is like a classic, like
3: through blindness.
2: Yeah, informer. <laughs> and yeah, that's an interesting theme to explore, actually. Like, uh, you know, why why is Hoyd like blind in, in some of his iterations? Like, what does that mean?
1: That's a good point, too. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Mm. but Dern in particular in this moment, like stands out to me as a world hopper in particular, because of the perfect pitch that comes from this heightening. And it feels like he has biochromatic be- breaths potentially and is on that level. But then Hoyt also feels like he's bringing in other magics to like tell the story or other tricks at the very least to yeah. tell the story the way that he does. And it starts to pose that larger question of how many people really move between planets and do all of these different things
2: yeah like seriously Hoyd has to have a really full equipment book because how is he getting <laughs> you know <laughs> everywhere <laughs> and being everywhere all at once you
3: yeah, uh, need a timeline
1: um, yeah I, yeah i want a timeline on how much time there is between like this and mistborn
2: oh we're on the subject of hoid i just yeah. i wanted to bring up that i think like it's true in Basically, all of Brandon's books, but especially comes through in Warbreaker that there's this like profound uh, love and respect for stories. And Mm -hmm. it just comes up so many times. Like, we have the Hoyd story, and we can see how like profoundly Siri is affected by it. And she like cries because it really just resonates with her and affects her on that level. And then we have that book of stories that was actually the first. Thing that connected Siri and Susabron and helped them build the relationship. Uh, and, like, I was talking to a friend on Instagram recently, and she was saying one of her favorite parts of Warbreaker is like when Siri and Susabron are like first starting to talk and get to know each other. And then Susabron says something like, Well, in the stories, uh, you know, it happens like this. And then Siri goes, Well, we're not in a story, Susabron. And then he's like, Yes, we are. And, you know, it's really, it's a meta, like a meta statement, because it's like, we're reading a story, like as readers, and then Siri saying, it's not a story, but it is. And Susan Braun is like, basically, whatever we're living through is a story, because it becomes part of the fabric of, you know, anything that happens is, is, is really story.
0: This is my favorite part of the book, to be frank. This is why I love Warbreaker as much as I do, is the whole thing feels like it's of of two minds that are pointing in similar directions, right? The first one aligns exactly with what you're saying, right? That everything is a story, and naturally we are in a story. Someone is going to tell this someday, our friends, our family. You perpetuate yourselves via stories, and the magic system itself is driven around... The life force of people putting themselves into stories and and like into animating things literally and bringing them to life, which is to me just a great way of expressing the creative process in general and the way that the story thinks about art and thinks about life and the way that you when you put your life and your work into something lead it in a direction you give it an intent you try to make it do a thing and sometimes it responds in the way that you'd expect and sometimes it doesn't and so then you have to pull it back and retry and that is why i adore this magic system in the story so much is because of the way that it drags and it brings in those elements and that is not my favorite quote but it is Right there, because I think it really starts to embody the core of why I love this story in this world so much more than any of the other ones we've explored. Because it yeah. feels like it has this heart that is truly grounded in art and love, and it's just ah, uh, it just gets me. It, 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 spin the spin the knife, spin the dagger, Brandon. Do it again. I want another one.
2: <laughs> yeah, so bad. It hits hard. It's it's really hard. Mm-hmm.
0: I hope it that it was as, as profound as I thought it was in my own head, because I've like, <laughs> been thinking about this a lot, trying to put it into words, and that's, that's it.
2: Yes, yeah, so you you brought it to life, for sure.
0: Thanks, thanks. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I? I brought it to life. <laughs> With my breath? I, yes. My breath to yours? Right? <laughs> you <Yeah. want> <laughs> that is why I had him sign this book. I, I, I missed out on the opportunity to buy an unsigned leather-bound and then have him sign it when I was there early. And then he sure. didn't have any more than like, I think they had 50 in total, but it's fine. So.
2: I find that like, no matter how fancy, you know, if you get another edition of a book, I'm always more attached to the book than I first, you know, read. No matter how like beat up. That's or fair. Paperback. I listened
0: first to Warbreaker. I actually didn't oh, own a physical copy. So I listened first and then I read it after to like clarify things. It wasn't like an intense read, but it was I listened and then I got the book in the mail and before I finished it I started to like pick up and like co-read and co-listen, which is this book that he did sign. So
2: nice. I, and he wrote what did he write? Uh,
0: yeah. So so at a signing, for those who haven't been, you get like a little card that says, Do you want your own thing? Do you want to like do it kind of on the flyer, like write it in to give him like a card, or do you want it to be a quote from the book? to some degree and then he he just i assume he probably just has him logged in his mind because he's done it so many times and like just picks one but yeah so i just put a quote because i was like just put a quote in the book that that'll be great you're signing it to me that's awesome so for crossland my breath become yours nice with four periods instead of three so whatever it's It's an extra
2: it trails off even more dramatically
1: (laughs) more dramatically a little less dramatic.
2: Which, which book did you oh, get yeah, signed? Why was this again?
1: I, I had hats Lost Metal. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Nice.
2: Because
1: it was already signed, so I had him personalize it. For, the for series. PJ. I'm going to need your hat.
2: <laughs> nice. Which is cool. Do you wear I hats? That.
1: I more used to I wear do. hats every day, but then I shaved my head and now I don't.
2: <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I used to also wear hats more often, like just as a fun accessory, but then I also cut my hair. You have
0: such a, you, you have like a good hairline and you shaved your head and I don't, I, I understand. I get it. I I get it. (laughs) Talk about random criticism, but like you you, compared to your dad, you have a great hairline. It just, this came up in the discord today where you're like, I'm not a bald piece of shit yet that Adam found in his old Twitter likes. Oh yeah. So my,
1: my dad went bald at 17. Yeah.
2: Uh, Wow. Okay. So
1: I have avoided that fate. Mm-hmm.
0: But. my stepdad did as well at 20 but mm-hmm. yeah he just started to go bald and he had a <laughs> up until that point he had a mullet and he just shaved it all off oh my and gosh. called it from there
2: good call Yeah, good call
0: <laughs> i mean at the time mullets were cool so he went from cool to oh you're one of the nerds that sits in the computer lab got it got it got it cool neat
2: i mean but if you have a mullet and you're hey, shiny to go bald yeah. then it's better to shave it than to have right. a balding Mullet,
0: you know. That's true. Can you imagine if someone had like the ring around their head but still had a mullet? Like they had the ring Uh, growing in that goes and it just goes Mm -hmm. all the way around, but they still have the mullet? It would just Uh, look so gross. I'm so excited. Someone has to do that. Some (laughs) costume designer out there, please make that wig. I will wear Uh, it. I'll do it for free. Wait, how would it be a wig though? Because it would
2: have to be like part bald cap. Part. oh it's
0: it, it would it would be bold so like you naturally it would have to be part bald cap in order for the whole wig to fit so it would be like a bald cap. cross will have to shave it. his head in order to make it right work. right i would do it for no money <laughs> just for just no money style your hair that way then at that <laughs> yeah. I, I can't do that but yeah okay do we sidetrack so hardcore
3: away Double step material. from
0: no, that's going to stay. That one's for sure going to stay. I'm just kidding. But I, I did want to make sure we didn't leave anything on the table with Hoyd. Oh, right. Before we move on. Any any other thoughts?
2: <clears throat> like, okay. I as much as I like, especially talking about the theme of, of the importance of stories, as much as I respect Hoyd in that sense, mm-hmm. I do think that he can feel like a bit of a mouthpiece sometimes because he comes in at these Convenient. sorry a
0: mouthpiece or a m-
2: yeah a mouthpiece like to you know share ideas I was just making brandon- fun of your accent i'm oh. so sorry
0: i <laughs> love you dearly but it was, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, i can't even imitate it but it was very funny <laughs> i'm so sorry anyway okay. yes he can be a bit of a mouthpiece sometimes
2: yes like just kind of to say what brandon wants you to understand you know mm-hmm. yeah
0: he does ha- so i I'm, I'm curious on pj's thoughts on this before i hop in and and add my context to some degree or like my thoughts because i i think that i have a hard time not being fully colored on Hoy. no pun intended or pun intended again
2: <laughs> this is very
0: it's very funny to me collectively that my favorite brandon sanderson book is the book that ha- color is so heavily focused when i am so intensely colorblind And that is so fascinating. And I want to talk about Susan Barana in a second here and the color relation that he makes because it is so in key with the way that I see things. But, PJ, before we get there, Hoyd.
1: Hoyd is a goddamn mystery to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, like, we know that he was there and witnessed the shattering. Texturally, like, that, that's what I know about him. So, like, From I Metal, think he's imbued or, with some sort of power so like, through that. Secret history. Yeah, That's in secret
0: history, yes. Yeah, 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 I was, yeah, I was trying to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, right.
1: But, like, I don't, I don't fucking know.
2: Yes. <laughs> I think that's his intention. He doesn't want you to know anything. He doesn't want you to have a good good handle on him at all.
0: To your point, though, Ziba, that you were talking about, I, I do think that Hoyt is occasionally used as a bit of an info dump but he's the most fun info dump that there is if that makes sense like i i feel like he is often used as a tool to either be the cog in a lot of stories or otherwise which can feel cheap but i am along for the ride and so i feel <laughs> like it's okay i i've equated this before in other stories but randall flagg Slash RF in a number of Stephen King books operates the same way and Hoyd follows a lot of the tapestry that Stephen King used. So I I mean, I understand it. I've gotten it since I was a little kid, so I'm down for it. But I also have a lot of faith because Stephen King has paid off Randall Flagg in such a fantastic way, wherein I don't know if Hoyd pays off to the same degree yet. So like I have some like interesting co-character universe quasi stuff backing this that i'm okay with
2: okay so yeah I,
0: I know that's a difference between us and i know that you're currently reading the dark tower so i don't want to give up too much but
2: yes i have temporarily there's a lot of series that i've started and then a okay i old. just
0: mean like that's that's where you're at
2: yeah 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 that's where i'm at i, I going to say
0: And Hoyt and the annoyances they're in. Oh,
2: he's not actually that annoying in this one because he only shows up. Right, he's very straightforward. Yeah, Yeah. well, straightforward as straightforward as Hoyt can be, which is not straightforward. But (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, what do what do you think about the story's effect on Siri? Why, like, why do you think it resonated with her so emotionally?
1: Um, I think, I mean, I think a big part of it is that he was so open and so honest and like, he's the first person that she's talked to that gives a full description to the best of his ability that, uh, of what's going on. The theatrics probably help.
2: Yeah, true.
1: But, but I think for the most part, she's not getting a canned answer to whatever she's asking or talking about.
2: Right. Right.
0: I think Siri is just looking for answers, right? Like she is just searching for something to find inside of this environment. so she's more approachable than most, which is why I don't think that she bucks at the idea of being told the story and also takes it the way that she does. It sounds like you were, you breathed heavily Were you did you know oh, i was just moment? thinking i
2: was just
0: yeah, yeah. so okay so for, siri for me in this moment i i i really love chapter 32 because right around that range because this is when a lot of characters stories shift and we shift into basically part two i would say right around this point and i think this is when siri also realizes that like she should be engaging more with susabron as such like there there's so much more trust and faith And she's beginning to play the court game very well in the way that she's manipulated Light Song to make this happen to begin with, outside of the purview of Susebron's immediate court. So I while I don't know that there's anything backbreaking that like Siri takes away from this, it it feels really good as a reader, and that's why I say that like Hoyd kind of has this info dumping place in this story. Where it is, it's it's much more world building and context building. Of course, she hasn't experienced the world. That's sort of the Idrian knowledge, and so there's a little bit there. But yeah does that does that fully answer the question?
2: Yes, that does. Okay. I was looking for answers just like here, and I got them.
0: Okay, some. Yes, some um, may not have been complete, but
2: well, I mean, t- technically, the story is not complete. You know.
0: Cool. yeah i mean we're missing we're missing one of the scholars and everyone else is now dead oh
2: you mean the, is
0: alive yeah the scholars
2: ish, yeah. ish. And, and vasher is alive so well
0: right i i yeah vasher is you alive but i mean we've hard. got yeah you know yeah uh, right oh three there, two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead right like
2: oh yes yes that yes. kind of idea right true true one thing i did want to bring up was
0: we're not that, in a rush by the way for the record i don't know what your time frame looks like so i'm gonna be very respectful because we're approaching about 20 minutes based on what we said about three hours so how are you doing how are you looking before we
2: oh so i'm in? actually like what i don't mind if we even go over the three hours okay. i don't know what your schedule is but like i could talk about no this all I,
0: I cool all right <clears throat> i i don't want to pj are you good do you have yeah Okay, cool. I just have, I would like to go to the bathroom, take a quick bathroom break. Maybe at five no, to 10 if we're cool with we're that. We're holding you hostage. Well, mm-hmm. conveniently, I'm in charge of the whole recording. So <laughs> I actually am holding you hostage for my wants and needs. Warbreaker uh,
2: level twist. I thought I was in charge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, very cool. So PJ. Yeah. Just for clarity. Um, yes. If we're done by like nine o'clock my time. Kaylin okay. would appreciate that, but that's I, an hour and
0: 20 minutes. So. I think that's where I'm aiming. I don't think that I would go later than
2: that. Nine yeah. o'clock, your time I think is, that's good. is what? Sorry, I missed that.
0: 10 o'clock. That would here. be an hour and 20 from now. Oh, okay. So that would be yeah. 10 our time at the latest.
2: Okay, that works for me.
0: Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Quick five minute, just flip your camera back on when you're back. Just quick bathroom break, refresh whatever you need to. All right. Cool. Okay. We've got a lot left to talk about instead of Warbreaker. There are a couple of different directions we can spin this in. I think one of the most interesting ones is to think about the priests and how they relate to the environment here with the world and how they interact with these gods of whom are, as we learn, like very fragile despite being immortal beings that are like taking in these lives and are required to have these sacrifices to them kind of on a daily basis. There's a lot here to unpack as it relates to the returned in both the sort of sacrificial context as well as the priesthood that surrounds them. What do you guys think
1: about the returned as a an element here? I mean, it inherently makes for like, even if they're not actually gods, it, it makes for a naturally reverent set of beings. Like It, it makes for a very easy localized religion to be, to be formed around them because they're so rare. And like, how else do you explain it
3: by, but to be something divine, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, sorry, go ahead.
3: No, you, you first go ahead.
2: I think it also talks about how like, they're not actually that rare that like, a lot of people can be returned. It's just there are certain ones that get elevated. And I don't remember how that's determined. Do you remember?
0: I, I remember that it's about 25 of them. And like anyone can become returned, but very few actually end up making their way to godhood for one reason or another. But I think that is like a subtle hint at the idea that they are actually more mortal than they appear on the outside. Both by the way in which like you have to take in a soul every day. And so like recognizing someone that needs to do that is its own problem. But then on top of that, like you could just be stabbed like any other person and die is another thing for the returned.
2: Yeah. I mean, like just thinking about the petitions, that's brutal. If I was, Mm -hmm. you know, if I was in the court of God.
0: Yeah. Oh,
2: no, not, not that, not even that. No, I just mean the whole thing.
0: Like the, yeah.
2: Oh yeah. The whole process. Yeah. But like, Having to endure, like, people coming up to you and saying, like, I'm, my parent is dying, my child is dying, like, I need your, your, can you help me? And then just being like, do I value my life or do I value this person? And like, it, it, I just don't know. I'm surprised Light Song didn't crack before this because I think I would have gone, either gotten really depressed or like, I don't know if I could deal with it.
0: A, mm-hmm. a genuine question to each of you. I, I think this makes for a fun point. What would it take for you to choose to give your own life to heal one person? What What would be the thing that breaks you? What What if anything? It's a very deeply personal
1: question, but what What makes you make that choice? Now, as you know, I'm a deeply selfish person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very aware. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
3: PJ
0: does
1: not have a selfless bone in his body.
0: <laughs> of course, kidding. PJ is deeply selfless, actually. When it's selfish, it's me. You should know that at this point.
2: Guy, okay, don't turn into light song, okay? You don't, don't underestimate yourself.
0: <laughs> I've been light song the whole fucking time. That's what you didn't understand.
1: <laughs> I-, <laughs> I feel like it would It would have to be a situation that like stands out as Something that benefits more than just the person that I'd be giving life to. Like someone that has, is on the cusp of a breakthrough for a like life saving technology or something like that. I, you'd have to be, you have to be selective. That's the problem. So trying to maximize, like, maximize the philanthropy through one life.
2: Like, what's going to benefit the most people? Yeah, basically,
3: I love that for you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, how can you determine that? It's right. just
3: that's.
0: I mean, it's it's brutal, and when you're confronted with those like consistent petitions day in and day out, like that would be.
3: Ugh.
2: There's a a Jewish proverb that says that one person is equal to a world. So I think that even not like. If even if I didn't have any context of like you know how many people is this ultimately going to save if I help this one person it's like well even if you can't see the outcome like one person you can generate a world from them like
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know it's hard to like I'm trying to put it into words but basically like one person can everyone have more has impact then you, than you yeah. yeah exactly so I really don't know like I I think that I don't know how long I'd be able to handle it the only thing that I think would Keep me like going in the court of gods would be if I was able to understand my purpose. You but know, is
1: this not their purpose? Like this is their purpose,
2: but also, right. but it is. But like, there's all. I think it, it's implied that they also have a. There's something that they're brought back for, and it's not necessarily to give a petition in that particular moment. It could be like a major pivotal decision that could you know change the tide of you know that like what light song did or what and i think it's like a parallel to how like we live our lives we're we don't know what our task in the world is when we're born we don't know what we're supposed to do there's no nothing telling us like this is your purpose in life you have to kind of go and blend and figure out what you're meant to do you know
3: become
0: a radio announcer yeah no one gets <laughs> that on, on yep. the report card, as they come out of the womb, like, you are bound to be in charge of 97.3 KDFM, and <laughs> you are not going to do anything but that until you die. No one gets that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It, yeah. An
0: exaggerated example, I totally agree with you. I That makes it so difficult to evaluate this choice. That's why I think that it's a fundamentally very interesting question of where people draw that line in their own life, or you would choose to sacrifice yourself.
1: So and, there, there's a couple things oh, to sorry, add PJ, to, go ahead. Oh, sorry. One is like you kind of have to give yes or no's as they come. You can't just hear all the petitions right. and then choose one. I
2: know and like pick them one. Yeah, enough. picking
1: the best. You're taking them as they come. Yeah. That's a difficult but thing. Also, based on that petition for the for the infant that was said. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like the populace doesn't realize that they're giving up their lives for it.
0: I think that's also the other side of things is that they don't understand the extent to which and and the frequency to which these gods respawn, quote, mm-hmm. that that's something to consider in its own right. But I, 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 I'm I saying from the perspective of a god, right? Like if you think about the whole system, I agree with you, PJ. We're in a tough spot where it's very hard to iron out. Uh, when it makes sense to do what, and when the people think it makes sense to go for them. Well, which is also brutal.
2: Yeah. Like, and do you think that, that the longer the gods stay in the court of the gods, the more selfish they are? Or do you think that they're... I think it's
0: the less selfish they become. The way that What's-His-Name just started to melt after six and a half years. He was like, I can't handle... More requests because, like, I I want to give everyone my life at this point, but I I'm holding Concierge? out for the most. I think that's right. It's the older man. He's oh, he is oh, a younger kid, but he has mind. been there for six years, right? So he's like a teen body, if I remember correctly, based on when he was returned. Um, yeah, he's he been like there for six years or something. Yes,
1: right, that guy. But I it's his been name. like thirty or so years since, no, and six. he got his. It's been they six. They say it's been 30 years since a god has given up, or oh, ha- has, has I, given a petition.
2: I thought Comseer was, like, not that long ago, because Song, yeah. Song was with her when he was returned, and he w- he's only been returned return for, like, five years.
0: Five, and the older one is six years, and he's considered an elder by all standards. Uh, this
2: is going to bother me. What's his name? to
3: me...
1: I I swear to God, there was a conversation between Light uh, Lightbringer or not Lightbringer, Light Song, uh, Light Song and And Blushweaver.
2: I think maybe, maybe it was that. Aside from Comseer, no one's given up a petition in like a really long time or something.
0: Comseer for sure. I don't remember.
2: Yeah, it's I can't. All the names are blurring together.
0: I think regardless, my question stands though, like there, there is an interesting like cultural question about sacrifice, but I, I feel like it's not been longer than five years for the most part or six years, which is the oldest person in the court at that time outside of the God King. So like everyone turns over in five years, it seems some live a little bit longer than that and they break. But I I guess mm-hmm. like my fundamental thing is I feel like I would break for like a familial tie. I, I feel like I would melt down for someone's like deep. I, I can't help but think about like losing a patriarch and a family that was taken too early or like a matriarch and like someone that was core to some like larger institution. And I would immediately like just bend over backwards to make sure that they survived to like, make sure that that was perpetuated in some way properly through family. so I, I feel like that's what I would, that's what I'd break for. Mm-hmm. Is uh, is some sort of familial longevity, which is very different than let's let's let the society survive, like culture and science, or like let's push for you were saying Ziva, like it's it's just a
2: uh, so hard, so hard, like oh
1: impossible, right?
2: (laughs) But truly,
1: you can understand why they have such a difficult time saying yes to a petition.
2: Because it's like, is this the right, is this the right one? Like, could there be someone who comes along that needs it more? hmm
0: Yeah. Ugh. I feel like out of the three of us, I would break the earliest. I feel like I'm the most fragile in this moment. I would just shatter like some sort of piece of candy glass comparatively.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know how long I'd be able to last, but how, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I wanted to touch on the names for a second. Oh, so like, light song's title is "Light Song the Bold," and then Blush Weaver's is she's the goddess of interpersonal relationships and honesty. And I think it it's really interesting how it starts off because I think at the beginning, Light Song is like the opposite of Bold. He's very complacent with where he is. He doesn't want to put himself out there and get involved. And he's just like, "Yeah, I'm going to be silly and just live my indulgent life." And then Blush Weaver is. Also the opposite of honest, she's very manipulative. She can be blatant in some ways as we know, but um she is mostly like scheming, manipulative, not very clear about her intentions and as a result that kind of messes with her interpersonal relationships. She doesn't really show the true side of herself. She's like very, I guess puts herself out there in a more superficial way and doesn't get to the the core of things. I think she really only gets to that with Light Song. And then as the story goes on, Light Song starts to embody being bold and Blush Weaver starts to embody being honest and building, you know, that true interpersonal relationship with Light Song. So I like how they go from really not embodying their names and into actually becoming like fulfilling that title.
1: So do we first of all? Yes, absolutely. Like that is spot on and really, really cool. It's what is the name of the term? Nominative determinism. I think determinism is good. Yeah. Well, specifically nominative determinism, like living up to your name specifically. Yes, literally. Yeah. Yeah. But was this a name that they inherited or was it a unique name bestowed upon them when when they became gods?
3: When they're
0: reborn. Yeah. It's it's unique to them when they're returned and they're given it to by the court. My assumption is based on everything that we get that like, The court knows why they returned or they know like the base, but they're trying to work out how they eventually arrive upon the point of understanding why they returned. So they're Mm -hmm. like, they're trying to piece the puzzle back together backwards. So like they know, for instance, Lightsong's brother knows that he returned from like being an accountant and dying for heroic action that he shouldn't have taken by any stretch of the imagination. So he knows that he's the bold and as such his life is devoted to ensuring that light song eventually figures out that he's the bold for whatever reason. So it's kind of deterministic in that way, as far as name nomenclature goes, but
2: yeah, I mean like in, um, in Jewish tradition, it's taught that uh, when your parents name you, they have a measure of prophecy. So whatever your name is, it's, somehow you embody it in some way and obviously no one knows what it is but essentially like the idea is that your name is a part of who you are and like it it's related to you so mm-hmm. like there's no way to trace that which is for the returns that's what makes it so difficult like they don't know like what am i supposed to do with this information <laughs> you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah
1: yeah that makes sense For
0: for me, talking about Blushweaver, I I equated her initially. I I think most people might equate her, as you perceive, to Aphrodite naturally because the way that she's Mm. voluptuous and attractive and everything else. But I I think as you start to evaluate her more, I think she starts to line in with Hera more more closely, which is to say that she's a little bit skeptical of things and that she is – Definitely an enchantress of sorts, but aimed towards one individual in particular. And like, she's not seeking other attention. And at the same time, she's also singularly focused on detecting lies and other things like that. So for me, as I, I I equate the Grecian sort of table to a lot of these people, I can't help but point at the very least a little bit to Hera in the way that Blush Weaver is portrayed. But man, I, died a second time (laughs) when her throat was slit just like she did a third a second time as well when her throat throat was slit it just it hurt so it was so
2: brutal it was so like brandon why did you again brandon why did you
0: expect that pj did you expect them to be able to die that easily
1: i expected torture
0: yeah yeah
2: and for light song to see that oh my gosh. gosh And, like, they were just starting to develop their, like, to be more honest there. with each other.
3: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: Hurt so badly.
0: We'll never forgive for the death of both of them. I just want them both back. I want a prequel, damn it, at this point. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you bring back some of my favorite characters. Um, and while we're talking history. about
2: them, like, yeah. we, we touched on this earlier, but they're... Their banter is one of the highlights mm-hmm. of the book, in my opinion. For sure. Like, just some of the lines are, like, hilarious. Like, when Song writes out the conversation that he thinks they're going to have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that is an all-timer. I'm copying that at some point yeah. in my life. No <laughs> doubt. Yeah, that's so good.
2: Yeah. And then, like, her correcting him. Yeah, it's, it's just so good. Yeah. Any other, like, fun highlights?
3: Between the two of them?
2: Yeah, or just I mean, again,
0: we we get back to, like, the general idea of, like, this book being the most flirtatious book of Brandon's by Country Mile. (laughs) And it is just, it is so great and egregious and, like, a little bit tempting in, like, a fun way, but, like, not... It's it's just so good. I think we skipped over talking about specifically elements that I know that we wanted to address, which was the romance elements of this book. How do we feel about the romance between our two primary romantic-ish relationships? We've got one like want to happen, we've got one that actually happened, and then we've got like a third distance distance relationship of should it happened. The, of course, the immediate one is Syrian Susabron. You've got Song and Blushweaver, and then you've got Vasher and Viv as sort of our third there of, like, relationships.
1: So, with, with the Vasher and Vivenna's relationship, I thought the coolest part of that was how you could kind of read the relationship to a certain degree through Nightblood. Yes. It's or like at least you teller. could read. You could read Vasher's feelings through Vivenna's interactions with Nightblood.
2: Nightblood is that like precocious kid in the rom com that's like, "Oh, you guys like each other." <laughs> he's
0: he's the coffee shop barista that is like, "Oh, you too? Yeah, of course. Yeah, naturally." Am I gonna tell you? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> you get one sided information
3: each.
2: Yeah, I definitely felt the chemistry between them. It was pretty apparent. I think that putting into context, it is a little bit disturbing. Like, if you think about that, Vivenna is like 22 and Vasher is like 300 and something. (laughs) But
0: (laughs) every time you get over 100 years old, I'm just like, does the scale even matter anymore? Like, (laughs) even the way that a lot of people think about Edward Cullen, I'm like, We're so
1: far past the point. It doesn't matter. I mean, how old is Suzebron at this point?
2: I think he's 50. 50. Yeah. And, and series 16?
1: 17. 17.
2: 17.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like there, there's a whole lot of like age problems (laughs) with relationships here, but.
2: I mean, with Suzebron, he, he's essentially like, he looks like a 20 year old and he acts around that age, even younger before, like at the beginning. And then mm-hmm. with Vasher, I feel like he gives me, like, mid-30s vibes.
0: I think he gives yeah. mid-30s, close to 40s vibes. I, I think I, I could agree with that. I'm like, yeah, that's that's the environment. Gray, speckled beard is the way that I think about it, which is, like, that late 30s, early 40s vibe.
2: Yeah. And yeah. what do you think about Vasher, speaking of of how he looks? What do you think about his decision to... Look the way he does. It's addressed a little bit at the end of the book where he can turn into like this like super sculpted, muscular, hot guy, but he chooses to be a very scraggly, unobtrusive kind of guy. Why do you think that is?
3: Cause I think he
1: wants to be unobtrusive. I think he wants to, to blend in a little bit. I don't, I don't think he wants to draw attention to himself in general. Yeah.
2: That's true. There, that's the practical, practical aspect, but. I think it's hinted at like where Vivenna says, is that, is that the way you see yourself? Like, do you see yourself as a kind of unkempt, like haphazard person? Like if you could look like a return, why are you, why? Like it, it it has to do with like self perception, I think. Mm -hmm. You know,
3: I, I'd buy that. Yeah.
2: And I (laughs) think Light Talk also brings it up. Like, that some people being a uh, the way you look as a returned could be a reflection of how you view yourself. So, like my question was, Light Songs always underestimating himself and being self deprecating and all that. So, why would he, his physique, like, why would he be so like, um, such an ideal? Like, if he doesn't think of himself that way,
0: I think it's all due to do with perception, right? Like, it's it's this choice to not be. Not embody that thing anymore because that's that's not what he believes that he is
1: i think his his sort of he
0: is so he's in such a dark place b j continue sorry
1: of his discussion about like his worthiness and like who he is is really about who he was like it, it's a lot of sort of right but making assumptions about who he was before he was returned, but he is I feel like very confident as a returned. He's just unsure of what he was beforehand.
2: Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, sorry, I derailed us from the romance. We we can we can go back to that.
0: It's okay. It's okay. We we were circling on that though, talking about a pair of them. Do we think that there's and we kind of were going in the way that I had phrased it, we're going from least to most likely relationships to some degree or like textual relationships, I should say. So how do we feel about Vivenna versus Vasher? Like, do we think that there's anything there romantically? Is it do you think that Vasher is even capable of handling another relationship? I think Maybe. that would take time. <laughs> I think no, I, I understand, like, the take time perspective, but I think like. Sure. He's had 300 years. If he's not ready for it, he's not there.
2: But you know? sometimes you need, but sometimes you need a certain person to like challenge you in a certain way for it to work.
3: For catalyst. Yeah. Fair.
2: Because okay. if he's being, if he's been like a lone wolf, for no, so Ziva, long-
0: I'm going to be hopeless and alone for all of my life. That's the game plan. That's the move. Like that is the whole vibe.
2: If Vasher nothing, can find someone, everything can, can change, can but
0: nothing will change. Yeah. <laughs> no. Thank you. Yeah, if Vasher can find someone. Yeah, for sure.
2: No, but I really, I do see potential. I do
1: see it. I can see it
0: happening with with just Vasher in general, or with Vasher and Viv. Like that's the with
2: I Vasher Viv, and Vivenna. Th-
1: yeah, I think so. I think she's the reason why it could work.
2: Yeah, they both challenge each other in a way that. Could ultimately develop into a relationship. I think like at first, you can already see that they kind of brush up against each other. Vasher is very abrasive. Avenna is very what's the word like set she in wants her ways. yeah set Stoic. in her ways stolid yeah. wants to do what's right. But I think ultimately they'll both what's the word like shape each other.
0: All right, this is the most risque book that he's written entirely based on everything that he's written. Oh,
2: I did bring this up in the. I don't, PJ, you're not in the chat that I brought up in, but um, do you think that speaking of like be, this being Brandon's most explicit book, everything is kind most of uh, has it's that very... energy <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so I don't know about you, but the way that breath is described is very
3: just mm. w- when
2: someone gets, when Vivenda gets all her breath, it, it just reads very erotically to me like the way that it's described. Um, I don't know if you picked up on that. I could see that. And yeah, I think it's just all part of the theme that Brandon's going for. Maybe he didn't mean to, but who knows? Who knows?
1: I think there's some intention
3: there.
2: Especially since the way that it's framed, according to the Idrians, is like it taking someone's breath is like profane. It's like perverse. It's like like something that's kind of like forbidden.
0: I, I hadn't mm. thought about this until you brought it up and you specifically brought up the phrase in which it does kind of have this sort of overtaking body feeling. And as you think about each of those lives stacked on top of each other. Oh, no. I think it only gets what well, I, yeah. I didn't mean it. in then kind of like immediately sexual context. But of course, <laughs> you should also think about it as if you stack 50 people's sexualities on top of each other. Of course, they're going to like each other and you're going to evolve a heightening like there There's so much about consciousness that you're talking about taking from people and then storing and stacking to like there to me the the critical thing that I love about this magic system is that you are taking what is what feels like effectively the magic of nerve endings in any regard in sight in sound in everything else. And you are, you're saying, hey, if I have more nerve endings, I can see more, feel more, touch more, experience more. And it's only because other people are giving up their access. And that is so fascinating to me yeah. that I, I just uh, – this magic system, while not the most grounded of the bunch, is so fucking cool. Mm-hmm.
2: So, so it's like rainbow yeah. tin, basically.
0: Rainbow tin, yeah, basically, actually.
1: Yeah, kind of. Um, of. To to take it in more of the funny, jokey kind of way, every time you take someone's breath, you're also taking the breath of every person they've taken the breath from.
3: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: (laughs) Not bad. Not bad. That was pretty good. (laughs) You take my breath away, BJ. You take my, not in this context, though, but.
2: (laughs) Thanks for clarifying.
0: Yeah. I, I did want to make a brief like pit stop for mostly selfish reasons. On top of this, for those of you who don't know, and in, instead sort of the podcast, I am incredibly colorblind and I feel like there, there are very few depictions of experience and colorblindness that actually encapsulate what I feel and experience in the world. And I don't know how he did it. It actually genuinely doesn't make sense to me. But when Sue Sebron describes the sort of way in which no one physically or visually means more to him than anyone else does, outside of their immediate like verbal engagement, is just so accurate for what I feel like I see. So I am a incredibly. I'm a monochromat. I have achroma topocia monochromacy, and so I see just black, white, and shades of gray. And I have my entire life and I didn't know until I was in middle school. And i it, it I was in a state of blissful ignorance and I can tell you the colors and everything that you see on your flag. I can see I can tell you all the colors that you see. But at the same time, I have no fundamental understanding of what that color actually looks like. And that is exactly how Susabran is described in these moments. And the way that he kind of talks about things on this equanimous level in the way that there's this vibrancy to life and everything else. And there has been no piece of media that has nailed it closer to my experience than this has. And it is so fucking fascinating to me because I know that that's probably not what he was going for. There are currently living about 1500 people with my same colorblindness at the very least in the United States as tested. I just, I, I can't believe it. He describes it. So if, if you want, everyone asks for like a picture of what I see all the time. They're, they're all like, I would love to live in your head and like picture it. And I have such a hard time sending people links to images and other things and like to try to relate the way that I see the world in any context. I, I tried, I've equated it to daredevil more often than not. But the thing that has done it for me the most closely is Sue moment in which he describes Vivenna as outstretching people's normal colors and beauty that he experiences. That is the closest that anyone has ever gotten to describing the way that I see the world. And I have I have such a like I have a deep emotional connection to this book. Exclusively, outside of everything else that I love about the story. This book is obviously. You don't need to color. use the word exclusively. I, so <laughs> I do <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> but I, I do, <laughs> I do have a very, I have a very different connection to this book. I think than most people do because it, it, it plays around with color so much, and it does in a very dynamic way. But then at the same time, it grounds it in something that is so beyond. I, I think what most people consider as they think about color and relationship to it. So, ah, how did you nail it, Brandon? Ooh. I'm, I'm fucked up about this because no one would think about this. Good work.
2: Yeah, and yeah. the context of it is just also really, really profound and heartwarming. I think,
3: of course. Yeah, I didn't mean to, you know. Go on. No, that oh, no, uh, that's a that is a great, a great, great uh,
1: perspective that most people don't have. Like I that that didn't strike a chord with me. Obviously, like. I kind of wish it would have, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I, it's
0: fair. Yeah. I, I, again, I can't imagine it with most people, but the idea of, you know, you see everything mostly the same. So if you imagine my life, it is this palette of black, white, and gray that I stare at all the time and everything is almost the same. And, you see someone that is so vibrant in other ways in life that it, that stands out to you in a in a bunch of physically discerning ways. It's it's incredible. You know, you love it for any number of reasons. But he stretches that further in other directions. But I think as a general concept, I think most people can relate to that as a base aspect of what he's talking about from Seuss braun's perspective. But he gets so like just slightly perspective. Pers- he gets so slightly specific surrounding this idea that he can't even discern color and that's what like breaks my own soul down a little bit where it's like no i get that like i will get so drunk that i no longer interpret color and that is like a fun it's a fun (laughs) thing that happens, but like uh yeah i i i've never i've never been able able to relate with anyone personally on that level but like in a book That is so fascinating to have someone be even close to that on the spectrum of talking about other people and the way that they see people. And, you know, people are always like, oh, I see your aura. And I'm like, fucking everyone has a fucking aura. Fine. Like everyone's shading different shades of gray as light reflects off of them. What do you mean? Everyone looks like a haloed ghost as I stare at them. I don't understand. And I just feel like I'm living on an island and it's okay. This is my own isolated commentary on why I love Warbreaker for the singular moment, but I get to have that because it's one of my favorite books ever. So, fuck well, you.
2: We'll allow it.
1: Yeah. All right. So, right now, we've got about 10 minutes before nine o'clock yes. my time. I feel like that's a Final pretty, pretty cool wrap up, unless I we want so. one more well, question.
0: Yeah. Ziva, do you have anything else that you want to talk about?
2: I'm just going to quickly. I feel bumped to wrap you know? it up on
1: that. Elsa's sick. Maybe
2: just to mention like a, an overall theme that I t- we touched hmm. on it, but I think we should address it a little more. Sure. Is that Fair I enough. think what makes Warbreaker so powerful is that um, nothing the characters assume or the reader assumes happens the way you expect. And obviously, with a lot of plots, that's how it works. You have twists. But like, in this case, it's, it's not just about, oh, I didn't see that coming. It's about the way that characters perceive things. It's not what they, like, it drifts his attitude to holandrin, right? Like their perception of like how profane it is and how they, they're not they don't do things right, and then Vivenna gets there and she hears from Jules and other people and she realizes like, wow, I had the wrong idea the whole time. Where like Siri and her idea that, like, oh, immediately the priests are sinister and they're bad, and then she realizes, like, oh, it's not nothing is as it seems. So I think that it just makes it a very powerful story, not just for the characters, but also us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get to ride through all those twists and the the shattering of of preconceived notions. It's it's really satisfying.
2: Yeah, like yeah, we get to I, become that kind of
0: right, right. We get to ride along with these people in their different environments and worlds and everything else, and it it feels very. Very shocking in the different moments because we, we've we had, again, I, I get back to the Pawn Call Rebellion, which is obviously the core of the conclusion here, which includes Light Song's sacrifice to bring Susabron back to life, which we haven't talked about at all. I think it's important to bring up, of course, in, in this choice to revive the God King with all these different souls. Of course, that's the, the thing that he would sacrifice his life for. It's beautiful and lovely. But it, I do think it gets to this entire idea that these cultures are, are such a beautiful clash, but it only feels that way because we're given the perspective from the characters. And I think that's also why a lot of people underplay Vivenna's perspective in a lot of these things, despite her like providing this extremist perspective from Idris versus the sort of Hollandron perspective from light song. And then the middle of the road from Siri. And those are kind of our three primaries and Vasher having the mythological historical perspective. Um, it it blends together into a wonderful chili. I, I don't say soup because soup is a little bit too fluid, fluid, and we get like some, we get some meaty bits from some and we don't get from others. <laughs> I think that's important. It's I so don't. Fuck you. It's so many beans, but there's some <laughs> fucking good ground beef in there that might be Italian sausage and you can't tell, but it's still spicy and tasty and you don't mind. It's um, a stew.
2: Not a, a, right. Yeah, it's a stew.
0: <laughs> right. A chowder. Precisely. Mm -hmm. And you take you take that bite and you're you're just excited each time you reach back into it as you read these chapters. And
2: that's
0: (laughs) Fuck you guys. I love that about this book. I love that about this book. Um, I'm not
2: laughing at you. I'm I am you are laughing at the stew, I get it. No. No, no, PJ started laughing. laughing
0: (laughs) PJ's laughing laughing at me though. Yeah. So it's all it's all (laughs) circular. But I I I adore the story for so much of its complexity that it tells behind the scenes with
1: a lot of these characters,
2: sorry, once I start laughing, the how dare you it's fine it's fine what, <laughs> how,
1: many, no, I, how many things do you exclusively adore this book for? all of it p j it's <laughs> in my top ten.
0: you know this. <laughs> I just I said at the beginning, I, I put words I of don't. radiance, I lied. <laughs> 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 it's breaker this mm. did reiterate in it though over specifically like even talking about it also like solidified that for me over top of words of radiance words of radiance is brilliantly written and i love it but the, i i am confident that this is my favorite brandon sanderson book in the end
2: elite choice i yeah. agree
3: it's pretty great yeah
0: oh oh boy that was that was a whole episode thank you so much for putting up with us over the course of that whole thing i do have a final question just to wrap this up with jay if you could be one character and you had to follow their whole plot through the story who would you choose nightblood (laughs) (laughs) didn't flinch he didn't (laughs) flinch he was like i would like to be the sword (laughs) I do want to be the sword. With the, with the indiscriminate ideology. Because I would I, like to not have to make choices. Yeah.
3: <laughs> God <right>. damn it.
0: <laughs> I should have seen that from 10 miles away. I did not expect it though. Good, good choice. I am, Zeta, I, like, oh, that sorry.
1: sounds like a joke, but I'm not joking. Like, I don't believe you're joking
0: at all. I believe you're completely serious. Ziva, which of the characters would you choose?
2: Okay. I Part of me says Siri because I, I just love her whole journey, but I think I really identify more with But Also, the ashes kind of attractive, so if we end up in a relationship, not complaining. So, I think you can go with Vivenna.
0: Okay. Alright. All right. I, I dig it. I dig it. I am fundamentally torn between my blush weaver side, which I definitely is, like, a, it's a predominant side of the way that I do things. So, like, blush weaver and, like, I'm not that flirtatious by any means, but I am definitely... Just manipulative enough to make you not think about it.
1: Don't believe him. Maybe. He flirts with me every time
3: we're PJ,
0: <laughs> We talk three times a week, and you still haven't broken up with your fiance. We talk and more and than I'm that. daring you. <laughs> we record three times a week, and I'm daring you. <laughs> Just kidding, but genuinely, Blush Weaver or Susebron for the aforementioned oh, reasons. So okay, uh, not not for any of the godly capabilities. Like that is that is. Incumbent to no, I don't want to have
1: the powers of a
0: god. No, and Susabron also doesn't want to have the powers of the god. (laughs) Like that's the other thing. Like being a reluctant power holder. Like I would never wish that responsibility (laughs) upon (laughs) myself, especially for curing a population of a disease or whatever else needs to be Mm -hmm. done to like expend the souls effectively. Um, Yeah,
2: it is a big responsibility,
0: but I will forever yearn. As my favorite character in this entire story is Balomar, who is singularly the most wholesome and heartfelt character throughout the entire thing. As he loses Light Song at the end, I will never. Mm-hmm. I I cry every time. I cried three time. times reading this For fucking the book.
2: Time. Like why?
0: I broke. I broke in the early chapters reading this book from his perspective. It was so brutal. I know because once know, you brand- know, right. And I, I think that a lot of Brandison, Brandon Sanderson books rereads like, give a lot of weight to the magic system and your understanding. And you're like, oh, shit, I get it. I understand how it functions. That's so cool that that worked out the way that this does. But this book gives you those emotional connections to the same degree. And it is so heavy in those moments. So.
2: It's like. Final a, note. It's, it's character driven. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Comparatively. Comparatively, any fan castings that you can think of off Ooh. the top of your head, immediate, you
2: okay. know, like
0: instant, easy.
2: <clears throat> I
0: want James McAvoy as Light Song in the worst way. Hmm. I works. know that that doesn't seem right, but it does I like seem that. right. Yeah. Five? I really like that. Yeah,
2: I can kind of see it. I can kind of see, see it. I can see like Henry Cavill being Light Song.
0: He could I do it. He could work. do it. Yeah. I want Henry Cavill as Dent comparatively
2: i feel like he's a little too like i think dent needs to be a little more like slight i don't know if that's
0: sure sure the right way to describe it you could frame him in the film differently but yeah i understand
2: yeah i'm trying to think who i don't know like a lot of actors off the top of my head
0: yeah i'm bad with that too actresses Um, anyone else for different roles anyone anyone in the cast
2: Okay, who would be Vasher? I feel like that could be easy to to pinpoint.
0: My brain again says, like, Hugh Jackman
1: would make a killer Vasher.
2: I was going to say,
1: like, I I, I, I was going to say somebody a little bit, like, less rugged. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, like, Ed Norton. Ooh. Ooh. Ed Norton would make
0: a great Vasher, especially as the, like, intellectual side of the equation.
2: Right. I could see it. I could see it. Alan Rickman was still alive, I think she would be a good mm. trelides. Because he gives me oh, snake for vibes.
0: sure, for sure. Treladies, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Any either of the female leads? Do we have any? I
2: can't think of anyone. I'm not good at thinking of
0: I, I think Vivenna should be Anna Taylor Joy.
2: Really? I feel yeah. like she's so like I think so. Delicate.
0: I, I think that's the idea, is that she was trained to be delicate in this thing, and then she is pushed into a different life, and she has to adapt to it. And I think that, that would be very interesting.
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now that you put it that way, I can see it more. who be Tong? Oh,
0: that's a great question. I know exactly who I want to be Tonkva, but I can't remember his name, so I'm going to look it up. Give me two seconds. Long Dung Sek is going to be the Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh from The Eternals. Is definitely it. He's from a number of different Asian movies, Train to Busan, etc. He was killer in the Eternals. He was the best character in the whole thing, and he just physically embodies exactly what I imagine Tong Fa being. Although I do genuinely believe his spirit isn't as cruel as Tong Fa is, so I have a tough time. But I mean, he could do it.
2: He's an actor, so hopefully he could muster up the evilness.
0: Right, for sure. <laughs> I I definitely think he could do it. Yeah,
2: I wish I could think of more people. I have to actually like look people up and like.
0: All right, all right. We'll, we'll take that as a, a takeaway from the whole show. I did want to say we skipped over the royal locks in its entirety, and I want to wrap no! this up pretty quickly. Okay, but let's do it. Did we have any thoughts on the colored hair and the stress changing hair, and how that related to the story in different moments and the way that they expose themselves, and that relation back to the original returned line as we understand it?
1: I think it. It has to do with investment and and there there's some sort of additional investment that comes with becoming returned. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Entirely. It's definitely an inherited trait from whatever that is. But why do none of the other returned exhibit that trait? (laughs) Mm.
3: Well, it seems to be
1: related to that royal line from
0: Vaux, right? Like that's the way that we're told at the very least. Mm-hmm.
2: But, were yeah. were you blindsided when death, Dem- hair started to change?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I forgot about that entirely. <laughs> 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 when death gets killed and his hair shifts and it that
2: brilliantly was so flashes,
3: cool. I totally forgot cool about moment.
1: that.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh I, I think it's a really good tangible way to show both Siri and Vena's, uh personalities and evolution. As characters, like it could be seen as a little bit like heavy handed because like really it's a physical trait that's showing you how the character is feeling. But like, I still think it's interesting.
0: This book features half as many blushes as the Hero of Ages does by word count, by word count. (laughs) And I do genuinely attribute that to the Royal Locks and describing someone's emotions in a physical way by color. And as such, I say, could you have done it a different way by describing emotions differently than blushed previously? Brandon, I shake my chair. But needless you to say, I think blush fever.
2: But it, if you're counting that, that in includes the
0: word blush weaver inside of the word count for the record, I did do the math comparing books. But <laughs> yeah, still,
2: I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was cute. Like when, <clears throat> I loved it whenever Siri was like comfortable, her hair would be blonde, and like like when Vivenna started to lose control of her hair. That was interesting.
0: In the devil's cup, we talked about about Tangled, which I specifically brought up because I love talking about hair specifically. I don't love talking about hair, but I love talking about (laughs) stories that involve hair apparently. And I I, I do feel very similarly where it's like it's this emotional connection to the hair and it's it's not meant to be the hair is not meant to be this sort of object. It's meant to be a lens through which to view the character's opinions and thoughts and feelings and reactions to things. And so it, it feels great
2: yeah i agree
0: cool all right well thank you for doing this ziva so much thank you so much for showing up and doing this episode with us we appreciate it i've been trying to plan this for months we're glad we made it work out in the space of the last week with trying to plan all of this stuff so thank you for making it happen beyond that where can people find you online give point people in a direction to be able to track you down and what you do and everything else
2: Okay. So, well, first I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I love just talking to you guys in general, but also talking about Warbreaker. It was great. And so you'll primarily find me on Instagram and my handle is at Windpunner. W-I-N-D-P-U-N-N-E-R.
0: There will be a link inside of the show notes. So you'll be able to find that there, of course. We're so excited. And thank you again for showing up and having this discussion with us about what is definitely my favorite Cosmere book and might be I mean in the top I'm three. Reserving for PJ, the spot. I guess he's I don't reserving know yet. for yeah, it's lost metal. A I I understand the full
1: book that it. I've read so far within yeah. the within the Cosmere. But I have Favorite full of book? Is metal. that what you said? Favorite
0: full book so far?
1: Yeah, within within the Cosmere but lost uh, metal
0: you're holding a sweet spot for i'm it. um, yeah i I have high hopes for it so far sure so, sure okay but all right. I, so but without perfect. that only you you put it at number one correct okay all yes. right I just I need to evaluate for myself so <laughs> uh, very appreciative but mm-hmm. beyond that, thank you so much for listening
1: to our show yeah and uh, as as mentioned be for, be sure to check out Ziva on social media on instagram at wind punter we have a lot coming out on the atomic pylon media network so keep your ears tuned for so much more we've been so much more
0: 2023 is going to be a very busy year for us we're wrapping up the first season of the tales of kana patacomb party which you can definitely check out Over there, we have links, of course, underneath the show. But we are so close to the end, so satisfying with the Great Dragon reveal that we're very excited to talk about. If you're listening to this, you've just got a little bit of a head start. (laughs) Maybe. But beyond that, we also have a couple of new shows that we're excited to announce into the new year. We also have the the updated Words and Whiskey show, which is going to include Thomas from High Key Obsessed, as well as Ben and Aaron from Hallerbot, which we're very excited about, including... Beyond that, we're excited to bring back short pours. We took a bit of a siesta, I would say, on this channel. We had some plans that got short shrifted based on other people's schedules. We didn't have any makeup episodes. So we are reviving this show fully into the new year. And right now with this, of going into the year of Sanderson, we're excited we're going to be covering, covering each of the Brandon Sanderson secret projects going into the new year, the month that they're released. So. Game plan is this episode comes out in December. In January, we'll have an episode for you about the first secret project in April. We'll do the second and so on and so forth with episodes in between. So make sure to follow us for all of those exciting details as it goes.
1: Imagine one of them's like Stormlight 5 and it just fucks us.
0: Bro, (laughs) I know that one of those books is related to Stormlight enough that I'm upset about it.
1: (laughs) That's all I know, but... But you can check out our show notes where you can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, websites, our social medias. Windpunter at Instagram will be linked in there as well. You can find us at Words Whiskey Pot on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. WordsAndWhiskeyShow at gmail.com and Patreon.com forward slash WordsAndWhiskey. Did you know that PJ makes all of our memes? If you didn't, you
0: now do. PJ is the meme lord. And I'm mostly crossing text
1: meme, and then I throw him a meme. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's, that's, that's basically <laughs> the rule. <laughs> I'm like, hey, by the way, it's Monday. We need a meme. Hey, it's Wednesday. We need a meme. Hey, it's Friday. We need a BJ. Responds in kind. So we appreciate all of your support, follows, et cetera. And thank you so much. Obviously, Ziva is supporting us to begin with for showing up on this show and to getting to talk with us about what's my favorite Cosmere book so far Warbreaker
2: yeah it's really my pleasure so glad I could come on and looking forward to discussing more books with you guys
0: of (laughs) course cheers
2: all right